This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Monday to you. Uh, the gang's all here. Terry and Jeff, we're, we've made it through the night. I didn't think I would watching the World Series. And Jeff doesn't want to talk about it because he was asleep. I chose not to watch it to spend time with my family instead because I'd watched the two other yeah. games and uh, I missed the best game of the World Series so far. Oh, it's crazy. Unbelievable game. What was it? 13 12? 13 12 in extra innings. Yeah. Second highest number of runs scored in a World Series game ever. <laughs> the Dodgers and Astros have hit more home runs than any other teams Most in World exciting Series. Exciting offensive series ever. I mean, this is incredible. And I've seen a lot of series, but this is so entertaining. I Even think if you don't like baseball, this is entertaining. I think a lot of Dodgers fans were hoping that karma would uh, reward them for the gesture that was made by one of the Astros players. Yeah, that was – yeah. You'd think that that would get him something. But it did. They won the next him, game. Well, and it got him 12 runs. That's true. But but I that same know. that same hitter hit another home run last night. And then Altuve <laughs> is unbelievable too. Unbelievable. Well uh, – like it or not, baseball's you got two more games in LA. That's gonna well, at least one. Yeah, yeah, that's true. At least one. It's but Puig it, is guaranteeing a game seven. Puig also, by the way, finally got out of his finally. little slump. So that was amazing too. But I think it seems like everybody got out of their slump. Everybody seemed to hit yesterday. Even I hit. I just hit. I was at a party and I just hit the veggie tray over and over. The thing that scares me, this was the second game that's gone into extra innings. And uh, even though both teams have shown that they're able to come back from a deficit, in both games, the Astros won. (laughs) Sorry. Just think it's exciting. Oh, come on! (laughs) Great stuff on that uh, front. Plus, uh, boy, big news, Manafort. Paul Manafort, apparently, according to CNN, has surrendered himself to the FBI. Let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what is going on with Mueller's investigation? Not only Paul Manafort, but his longtime protege, Rick Gates, they were told to surrender to federal authorities on Monday. You were asking before we uh, turn on the mics, how do they know these things? Uh, I read in White Collar Crime, they call you and say, hey... Because it's, sealed, it's sealed from the grand jury, right? Yep. And then a court, I guess, must call somebody, and, or the I guess Mueller calls him and says, yeah, you're going to need to turn yourself in. Might be the court. I'm not sure. But yeah, they're notified. So it's not like you're, oh, you're a fugitive. What a horrible call that would be. If you be. remember, they did go over and search Manafort's house by yeah. just picking the lock and walking but in. But President so. Trump probably was like, whew. Yeah. His, his legal team spent the weekend trying to figure out who's going to be. What do we know? How do we know? And they figured it was Manafort, maybe... Uh, some other people who used to be in the uh, camp were, were involved in the campaign, but then were Lewandowski is another guy. Oh, yeah. uh, the still unknown charges expect to be laid against Manafort and Gates mark an important escalation in the investigation by special counsel Robert Mueller into the Russian interference. Manafort has for months been under investigation. Uh, the FBI probe of former 
uh, of Paul Manafort is uh, reported to be centered on suspicious wire transfers by offshore companies linked to Manafort. This from uh, BuzzFeed over the weekend. The money transferred reported total more than $3 million between 2012 and 2013 and first drew scrutiny at the time as federal investigators sought to determine whether Manafort's work for a pro-Russian party in Ukraine was illegal. The report comes to CNN and other outlets. But illegal, about this. Ill- illegal, like five or eight years ago, seven years ago. Yeah, and illegal because of tax evasion. Or yes, but so this, it's Meaning, real tie to Russia. It the, just came up. They're that, finding that that he has this tie to Ukraine, mm-hmm. to specifically the former president who was a, as people characterize him as a lackey of uh, Vladimir Putin. And so that, through that, there could be a channel uh, of okay. influence. Yeah. And because he's exposed by maybe his taxes aren't quite what they need yeah. to be, maybe he was being you know pressured. So you get Manafort, and then you start talking with him and see if there's anything there. And so you, you shake him like a tree, yeah. and you see if anything falls out. What this keeps being referenced as, is this the way you go after the mafia? Where you go after organized crime, yeah, you the shake way you, one you know, of them down, and then yeah. see if that they and then turn. You, you keep tightening the circle until you find your yeah. primary, and that's who you go after. Do you remember when Don tried to shake us down, yeah. and we wouldn't we turn stood on each strong. other? We that stood strong. I heard they didn't find anything in his home as far as the tampering goes, but they found a lot of Russian bootleg DVDs, <laughs> Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, crazy. Woo. that guy. He has denied. Uh, Manafort has denied any allegations of wrongdoing. Uh, Just can so you, you know. imagine. You got to get uh, that out there. The CEO of the Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority has announced that the controversial contract with small Montana-based energy company to restore electricity to the island will be canceled. After current work on the island is complete, Ricardo Ramos, CEO of the Territories Utility Company, canceled the the contract with Whitefish Energy hours after Puerto Rico governor uh, called on him to do so. Uh, The company headquartered in the hometown of Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke, backed by a major donor to President Donald Trump, reportedly only had two full-time employees on hand the day Hurricane Maria struck the island, knocking out power for millions. It just kind of doesn't look A $300 million contract for a company with two people, and it's only been around for two years. And there's all these connections to people in power, and people are like, hmm. And and the Puerto Rico uh, electric companies had a lot of fraud and... Just yeah. kind of untoward things happening. So they're trying to distance themselves from any controversy. But the company's called Whitefish. Whitefish. <laughs> and it's from what, Montana? Yeah. There's, is there Whitefish in Montana? I don't know. The, okay. other, the other side, they've hired a huge team. People are down there fixing power lines as we speak. Yeah. But we're going to shut it down because maybe there's an impropriety. It just looks a little fishy. <laughs> Hinky. White fishy. Zinky. A little zinky there. <laughs> okay. uh, Republicans set an aggressive timeline passing legislation to overhaul the nation's tax code. This will be great. Yeah. Wednesday, they want to put the bill out so you can actually see what the tax proposal is. Okay, yeah. Monday and Tuesday of this week will be uh, a day for lobbying, trying to get your, your special tax cut in or things yeah. let out. A home a homeowners, home builders association group has expressed their uh, lack of interest in or lack of enthusiasm for this bill because they're talking about messing with some taxes with mortgages oh, and boy. homeowners yeah. perks. Yeah. And that would hurt their industry. Yeah. And so every time you go to do something, you put something in and like five groups are against it, five groups are for it, members of Congress are for it, member of Congress against it. And so that's why tax reform is really tough. It's really hard. So they're going to try to get this through on Wednesday so they can... Uh, the House can vote on something through Thanksgiving so they can put something with the Senate in front of Trump by the end of the year. Wow. So fast. Let's do this. They're in a big hurry for this one because this otherwise they start the next year yeah. with really no victories. 
from Congress. Yeah, and then next year is going to be difficult because all these people are running for year. election, yeah. and so you want to get that out of the way, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> so there'll be that, that way, and then all the internet companies are going to be testifying this week, and uh, it's going to be great. What could be more boring than a bunch of internet companies testifying? Thor, Thor comes out on Friday. <laughs> now, you've actually got Crazy. me interested in that. I yeah. now may go watch the whole Thor series. Nice. Really? Yeah. I heard you can well, skip part two. Yeah, I didn't sk- see part skip two. Skip two. Really? Thor wins. Just It's fine. Does he have a hammer still? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's pretty cool. Although, if we're to believe the trailers of this latest one, it looks like somebody takes it from him. I also went and watched uh, Spider-Man 2. Homecoming? Homecoming Two, is that what it's called? No, it's no. Just, just Homecoming. Yeah, it was good. Really? No, hold on. I saw that, and then I saw an older one. Yeah, there's all kinds of Spider- Spider-Man. So which one? Tobey Maguire? The, no. Andrew the Garfield? One. Andrew Garfield. Yeah. Yeah, that one. But okay. the second version. The second yeah, yeah, one. Yeah, Lots of Spidey. Yeah, there's tons of Spider-Man. Home- yeah. Homecoming's good. The rest of them, they're all Homecoming right. Homecoming was pretty good. They're okay. And finally, when it comes to the objects floating around our solar system, scientists have a pretty good handle on what, what they all are. Aside really? from planets, dwarf planets, moons. And smaller bodies like comets and asteroids, they've been uh, tracked and studied for years, if not decades. But just days ago, something cruised past Earth and was launched out into the into space thanks to gravity from the sun. And scientists still can't say what it was. What really? It came in, uh-huh. went around the sun, mm-hmm. and then catapulted back out into the universe. But they don't know what it was. Maybe it's like a little Martian drive-by. <laughs> I, it seems from reading this article, I found it might have been a rock of some kind. But they don't. They haven't. They haven't named they don't it. Know. They, they don't, don't know. know. They're looking at it. They're trying to figure out what this thing is. Why don't we just want to admit it's a Martian flyby? Well, they're saying it was a spotted. It was spotted by astronomers in Hawaii. It yeah. was careening through the space at a speed of 16 miles per second. Oh boy, that's like your your commute every morning, right? Yeah, now. well, a little faster. It swooped in around the sun, past the Earth at a distance of about 15 million miles, and then headed straight back out into space. Did they? Did they honk? Did they? No. No, they didn't. Nobody heard a honk. No, it was really just in the neighborhood. Anybody throw an egg? It's like that car you see that just kind of drives by, and like, who was that? Where did? What was? Was that a flash of light? They originally thought to be a comet. The mysterious visitor came so close to our star that it should have likely burned up due to the intense heat, but Mm. it didn't. Subsequent observations suggest that the object might actually be an asteroid, not a comet, which would explain its refusal to disintegrate. Mm. The most widely accepted current estimates put the size of somewhere around 500 feet in diameter, which is fairly small, but still large enough to do some serious damage to any uh, you know planets or whatever it crosses path with. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they think it... Um, where was the... It says, regardless of whether it was a comet or asteroid or something entirely different, it was an incredibly rare event that had some astronomers rushing to learn more. The International Astronomical Union's Minor Planet Center... Oh, wow. Hmm? It's kind of a name. Issued a notification asking researchers to devote some time to figuring out more about the object. The Minor Planet Center. Yeah. It's kind of a demotion. A little bit. <laughs> Where did you? I used to work for the major planets, and now I'm down with the minor planets. They said it came, it, it looks like it came from a well-known constellation, except they didn't name it. Hmm. Which I think seems is a, a, little, it's a cover-up. Uh, it's a cover-up. Seems a little zinky to me. A little zinky. <laughs> I really, um, I, I think it's a drive-by. I feel strongly about that. Is that a warning from mm-hmm. some other... People are trying to fly by like, who, what's this Trump thing? All right. Just and then they just to... fly back to their galaxy. Like, whoa, that was weird. Did you guys see anything with Trump on it? <laughs> it was really hard to see. We were going so fast. 16 miles a second. Man. 
Hey, I got great news, you guys. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. The I, Dodgers actually won last night? No, no, no. Game's no, still going. They totally lost. That's not ended yet. Lost by one point. But it was an incredible game. Boy, was that a game. And now I'm really tired. Really tired. I didn't watch the game. <sighs> I do feel like somebody punched me in the stomach and I, I can't focus. If you had watched the game, you would have felt worse. I, I'm glad I didn't in well, the end. Because it, it, it's just – you know what I think it says, honestly? And I don't want to make you depressed, but I just think Houston wants it more. Oh, wow. Wow. Because – Them are fighting. Worse. They kept going. I mean, I think the Dodgers – L.A. Have, looked awesome. The Dodgers LA looked have, awesome. They've shown their intent with the amount of money they've spent. Well, but intent – money spending is not the same as just Altuve's will. Right. Altuve, a five foot six stud muffin, gets mm. up to the bat and cranks it and ties. I mean, it's unbelievable. What about Yasiel Puig's blue mohawk? Is that intense? That was weird. <laughs> and he, but he was like 0 and 4, and then he finally cranks one. I Everyone just think he needs to get home. I think having his fans cheer him on will boost his confidence. Well, I think, I think the home game, I think it will go seven. I really hope so, because I don't think I'm going to be able to watch Game 6. I think it'll go 7. But, um, no, that's not the news I wanted to bring up. I So, you've all heard of Ancestry.com, right? Yes. Oh, the DNA. Yeah. 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 So, my DNA's back. Oh, yeah. no. And they, I, I, for Christmas last year, I got this tube to spit in. Oh, Merry Christmas. <laughs> now, wait a minute. I find it interesting yeah. that you're you're bringing this up right after an otherworldly story. I know. That's why. So, that's what made me think of it. How, okay. much, how much Mongolian are you? You know what? Genghis Khan zero, has a huge influence on this. What stuff. I figured out is I am like 99% white. Yeah. yeah I, 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 I'm pretty Anglo. <laughs> is the I, other 1% alien um, in origin? No, the 1% is West Asian. I don't. That, even, I don't even know what that may be. The Genghis Khan, maybe a little bit of Genghis Khan. Everybody's got a little Genghis Khan in them. See, when I got mine, I opened it and looked at it, and it's like I'm not just like it's like really white. Yeah, but see, I, I actually, I'm, I'm, I have a little bit of diversity that I did not know. I'm 28 percent Scandinavian. Wow, I did not know that. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I did actually because I've done my genealogy. But um, I'm 25% Irish, yeah. which is why the words magically delicious yeah. have just, always just resonated. Flow forward. I'm 60-something percent apparently Irish, and wow. I don't have a problem with that. Really? Yeah, that was a shock to my family. Is that why you always bring up the Blarney Stone? I really don't. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm uh, 21% Europe, uh, Western European. Yeah. Just sort of that whole region. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I could here. be maybe German. Mm. I could be from Liechtenstein. Could be. Who knows? Um, I'm also 18% Great, Brit- Great Britain, Great or British. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then this is the one that blew my mind, but it actually makes sense. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm 7% Italian Greek. Um. What's with the horn? <laughs> is that there the universal some, Italian? There are Italian clowns. Absolutely. Yeah, there are. There's some, no, there are. There's some silent films of very dramatic yeah. clowns from Italy. Because I've always thought I had a little, like, olive skin. Like, I always thought I had really? more kind of olive skin. Mm. I mean, then when I take my shirt off, it's really, it's just obviously so white. under the hmm. pasty exterior. Mm-hmm. Okay. Underneath my pasty whiteness, my translucent skin that I could see my oh. heart beating through. Did this, did this tell you anything you didn't already know? Kind of, yeah. I mean, but. I, I, it's why I love. I love 
eating at um, <laughs> eating Italian food. I, well, no, I don't want to name a name. Yeah, but because I mean, it's not really Italian yeah. food. Okay, <laughs> it's just sort of fast food. But I, that's why I like it. That's okay. why I really like Italian because I'm seven percent Italian. Right. Sure. My wife keeps struggling with this. Why? Well, because you're like you. How does how do they know? And I'm like, well, I spit in a tube. Yeah. She's like, I know, but how do they? <laughs> how do they know? It's really quite gross. That's DNA. My DNA goes back to Italy. Mm. Just not all of my DNA. Just seven percent. It may not even be Italy. It may be Greece. Right. I mean, maybe it's just me floating on a boat somewhere in the Mediterranean. Could be. So whenever you're digging into a pizza, you're just reconnecting with your roots. Yeah. Or, or all that Italian salad dressing that yeah. like, changed your DNA. Right. That, but that's why I'm drawn to little squeezers. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Again, not Italian, but interesting. What do you mean not Italian? It's not Italian. No, have you seen the little guy? With no, the, I know. I know they got you know the character. Pizza, pizza. Yeah, no. That's that guy, not no, but Italian. That guy, nobody's wearing like a Roman toga. Oh, sure, absolutely. But, so that, I mean. Yeah. And if you were really, Roman. if you were really Italian, you would be eating your pizza at like 10 o'clock at night. Done. Yeah, do, yeah, do it. I do that. I eat it in for breakfast. It's the greatest breakfast on earth. <laughs> That's, but don't you think it now makes sense? And Scandinavian? That's why I love tulips. Ooh, I love Scandinavian bacon on my pizza. Oh, I do too. Wow. Yeah, on my pizza. I don't think any of this has to do with your DNA. No, what do you mean? Your your taste buds? Yeah. Not really. I think you're like 80% Italian when based I, on it, your preferences. Could, and I told you my favorite meal ever, lasagna. Hmm. That's, that's my but, little Italy right don't there. do you have more in common with Garfield at that point? Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. Do you remember when I thought that that Greek <laughs> song, you thought it was Italian, I thought it was Greek, and I'm like, that's not Italian, that's a Greek song. And we had this big argument about that, but mm. that's probably because I'm torn, because 7% of me is Italian Greek, and I don't know which part's Greek and which part's Italian. And then we had Don Shaline, we had Don Shaline come in uh-huh. and uh, prove you wrong. But what I'd like to know is what percentage Don is Greek or Italian. I may be very well, maybe more Italian-Greek than Don. Shaline, I'm thinking, is more Irish or, yeah, Irish. Don't you think? Yeah. But he went on a LDS mission trip to Italy, hmm. and he speaks Italian, so he's like, I know Italian. But I, you know, I got but it in my the blood. Other side you is, eat Italian. Does he speak Italian, or do we just have no idea what Italian sounds like? He that's can right. say whatever he wants, and mm-hmm. we, okay, that's Italian. Epa! There you and go. Ever since I found this out last night, I've been yelling Epa more. What if Epa! we, what if we found out that this is from Turkey? Oh, well, that, that, that wouldn't be good. I love Turkey, though. Oh, I love Turkey. On pizza? Nah. Mm. That doesn't even sound good. Anyway, finding out about my ancestors. Some mix between Scandinavia and Greece. Somewhere in there is where I exist. There's a sweet spot called Matt Townsend. It's kind of a greasy Italian sweet spot. Mm. That doesn't make it sound very good. Hey, straight ahead, we're going to have Joe on the show. Uh, Joe is Joe in the know. Joe's our Washington insider. And he's going to walk us through what's going on politically around uh, Washington, D.C. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, get a leg up in life.
It's that uh, time of the week, Monday, when we bring in Joe Cannon. Joe's our Washington insider. Joe in the know, we call him, who has an extensive background. He's been a, a chairman of a Republican Party in Utah. He's run for Congress. Um, he's done it all. But we like to have Joe in just because he's a great thinker, has a great mind, and is is in the know. He knows a lot of the players and or at least knows people that know the players. And we love him. And Joe, welcome to the show, my friend. Sorry about uh, the Dodgers' loss last night. Oh man! Well, I was in Houston last weekend with uh, uh, visiting my um, one of my children and six of my grandchildren, and uh, we went to a game. We went to the Friday night. Did game. you really? What yeah, a game! It was sad for me. Is it? Yeah. I wore my I wore my Dodger hat, and I was uh, of course maybe a point oh oh one percent. Minority people in the stand. <laughs> that it yeah, was—it's it, yeah. incredible. Last night, I, I, I don't—I bet you didn't get to see it, but it was um, crazy game. I've never seen more hitting in my life. It was just incredible. No, I mean, yeah, the score was amazing, and but uh, it's, if I weren't so all in for the Dodgers, this is one of the best World Series totally. that I can that I can personally remember. I mean, two. Really good teams and uh, with total heart. I mean, they they're just killing themselves. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> honestly, win. it's wow. more fun for me probably because I was never all in for any team, and now it's. I like Houston because of helping the Hurricanes and everybody. T-Mobile's giving money for every home run toward toward all of the hurricane victims, but. I, I don't know. I, it's easier for me. I, you guys, you and Jeff, are always mourning <laughs> and sick. Well, you know, um, there's a lot of empathy for Houston. You got to say it. So, and this would be their first World Series. Yeah, I mean, there are all kinds of you know the the, the flooding was really obviously captured everyone's imagination, and they're just like a bunch of fun looking guys. You yeah, know? Uh, I don't know. And and so, doesn't Nolan Ryan years for the Dodgers? Nolan Ryan's isn't he somehow connected with the ownership oh, yeah, of sure. the? So I mean, all of a sudden, Nolan Ryan may get a. World Series. Yeah. Slow and steady. Hey, uh, Joe, what do you think about Mueller indictments coming down? And now uh, apparently on CNN they're saying Paul Manafort and Rick Gates have been indicted. They're turning themselves in. Where does this take us? Uh, I, I didn't hear about Gates. So I, I guess I've missed that. Most of what I've seen this morning has been about Manafort. Well, you know, you're not going to assemble a team of really rock star criminal investigators and not come up with something. Yeah. That's just a fact. Um, and uh, you can come up with all kinds of things, you know, Scooter Libby, who I do know pretty well and, and have great regard for, you know, he got tripped up in, in a some kind of technicalities, completely unrelated, not completely unrelated, but, you know, not the, not the heart of what the investigation was about. So, you know, if you start looking into someone's life, especially someone who probably does have issues, you're going to find something. Is it? But is this? Is any of this really tied to Russia, or is it kind of? You tell me, as a lawyer too. As you start investigating somebody in one area, Russia, eventually, it sounds like it kind of led more to tax. I mean, to other deals he had with Russians, but then maybe more tax evasion and hiding money. So that that doesn't it really turn into a different thing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this could be. I don't think they've actually released yet exactly what it was, but you know, it looks like it might be some money laundering issues, some tax issues. Uh, 
One of the points that some people are making, though, is is that the FBI doesn't just generally doesn't go after single people. They they're looking for broader hmm. uh, play, yeah, know, a, a broader net. A, B, it's not too likely. I, I know a lot of your listeners are going to disagree with this, but uh, it's not too likely to end up on the things that are causing all the political stirring. You know, you know there's, uh, for example, there's no crime with talking to Russians uh, about politics, apparently. So there's, oh, there's, yeah. you, you got you got allegations both on for Democrats and Republicans on that one. But, you know, they're looking for real crimes of real statutes, some of which are very narrow. Um, but but they they fit into an overall architecture of looking at uh, sort of a set of people, not just not just one. So you know, in my perspective, this is the first step, probably in, in a lot of, of a lot of indictments. And then I guess, uh, tell me the the legal side of this is. I mean, once you're indicted, then it's like, okay, Paul, if you want to make a deal with us. You're going to have to talk or turn or give us other data or information on someone else. Oh, that's what that's the uh, that's exactly what will happen. There are very, very, very few cases like this ever go to trial, uh, especially the initial. You know, the initial indictments are aimed exactly at what you're talking about. Okay, yeah, let's get Manafort and his uh, business associate uh, Gates in and. Um, you know, no, no. This this is the beginning. Mm. Uh, what Winston Churchill said about uh, Dunkirk: it was it's, it's not the end, it's not the beginning of the end, but it might be the end of the beginning. <laughs> and uh, so, so we might be seeing the end of the beginning here. <laughs> but it is it is uh, all around the beginning. It's not not even middle. I mean, yeah, there are going to be negotiations. There are going to be more people. There are going to be more claims. I mean, more and more indictments, and all of those are going to be rolling up to, to something. And, I don't know what. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if um, how much you've read on this, but also you hear the White House talking more and more about the fact that really the real white, the real Russian scandal was President or was Hillary Clinton and uh, the uranium deal and all of the. Um, goings on with purchasing who paid for the dossier that was again the kind of the anti-Trump dossier is any of that going to stick here? Does any of that really matter? Well, I well I don't know, but some of it might matter. I mean, even in this, even in the current investigation, uh, Mueller's announced that he's he's looking at Podesta and what role he may or may not have had in in all of the Russian stuff. So that, that's already teed up. Uh, I haven't heard anything specifically about the uranium deal or the um, dossier deal, but you know, those th- there's a lot of tangible, actual evidence there. there I don't know. I don't want to necessarily call it evidence yet, but a lot of tangible stuff that you can get your mind around. And uh, you know, he Mueller might decide that he wants to show that he's really is nonpartisan. Hmm. I don't know where that'll go. But Podesta, you know, Podesta's already in the investigative uh, loop right now. Oh, wow. Uh, and then and then I don't know what's going to happen with the other two uh, sets of allegations. 
But I guess it should be bipartisan, right? I mean, it should. I mean, if we we ought to find wherever this leads, any 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 candidate or any party that played with the Russians needs to be exposed. Well, yeah, played with the Russians or did other things that are illegal. I mean, it happens that the sort of the shaded area of the Venn diagram here is is Russia. But uh, as we mentioned earlier, lots of things about dealing with Russia are not necessarily hmm. illegal. illegal. They, they, they might be wrong in, in, in a sense. But uh, so, yeah, you know, Mueller and his team are pretty, pretty sophisticated people. They've gone after criminals in the past. And, um, you know, the, it's not going to be – well, you don't know, but Al Capone went down for a tax charge. I mean, they're – Hmm. Sometimes really bad people or bad things, you you get tripped up on some of the, the simple smaller stuff. areas of the law. But uh, but the FBI gets their in the older days they get their man, and new days they get their person. <laughs> that's right. And uh, I guess that's a good segue to uh, uh, tax reform. This is why they got to simplify the tax code so Capone wouldn't get caught up on it. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, well, I think this tax code is probably not going to uh, justify tax evasion. <laughs> that's, that's one thing that's not going to happen, right? But I guess the idea what? behind it is that the, it seems like Congress needs a win. Um, I guess Congress and Senate would need a win. They've got to do something, and tax reform seems to be the first place to start. Do you think there's any way they'll actually get something done before the new year? Well, they could. You know, uh, I was, like many, was a, kind of a skeptic. But, you know, on Wednesday, uh, the chairman of the House Ways and Committee, House Ways and Means Committee, Kevin Brady, is going to unveil his what's called the mark. It's a markup, uh, basically, at the plan. And uh, they'll vote up and down. Uh, it'll be a, it'll be an up and down by-party, um, you know, vote. I think they're going to have no Democrats vote for it and all Republicans vote for it. Then that becomes the thing that you have, that goes forward, and uh, it'll be no one knows everything that, that's in it. But uh, you know they're looking at big big corporate tax cuts. Um, one, uh, there are a couple of little facts to keep in mind under the budget rules. So another another in in order to get this done on a party line vote that doesn't involve a supermajority in the Senate. They're, they have to play by this, this budget resolution rule. That rule right now, and I won't go into the, how, how this all comes up, but basically there's a $1.5 trillion cap on what they can do. Now, that sounds like an enormous amount of money, but if you look at the president's, uh, that I guess he released in September, maybe earlier, but he released, okay, this would be a good idea, that would be a good idea, that would be a good idea. All of that adds up to $5 trillion dollars. So just the corporate tax um, rollback could could uh, suck up all the $1.5 trillion. So hmm. one thing I think in the background of all this is that you're going to end up saying, don't, obviously, I, I'm not an expert on most of the stuff you asked me about. And this is one of them. But what you might see is is a whole series of things that are phased in and phased out over a period. So you've got this trillions and trillions of dollars overseas, uh, or maybe it's hundreds of, hundreds of billions, 
of profits overseas that, that companies don't want to bring back in because they're subject to a 35% tax rate. Well, you could have like a one-time, and I think you will see something like this, a one-time, maybe it's a 10% tax mm. uh, for X years, and then people repatriate those money back. And so yeah. that's... President Reagan did that, right? He Didn't he have some get-your-money-back-in-the-country deal? Yeah, 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 could have. I don't... I don't remember that, but but the point is, is that is that that would be, that could be a one-time deal, and then it's gone, and and that makes room for other other taxes. But but the 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 ending of it is you got to come within this 1.5 trillion dollar cap. One interesting fact, you know, people talk about tax cuts for the rich, and I don't, I'm not sure what constitutes rich, but for people who People who make one hundred thousand dollars a year or more, so that's uh, about twenty percent of the population, pay about ninety-five percent. Ninety, ninety. It's about it works out about uh, over eighty percent to ninety percent of the taxes are paid by, you know, maybe twenty percent, fifteen, twenty percent of the people. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, totally. Um, politically, what you've got is you still have, you've got Rand Paul, you've got Corker, you've got Flake, you've got McCain, you've got Collins. Now, Corker and Flake have said that they're not going to let uh, their dispute with the president color what they do in a you know policy framework. But it's entirely possible that they might find things that they don't like about about the tax bill. So, Oh, boy. And turn it. What do you think about uh, Jeff Flake? Um and even Corkers, I mean, their overt conversation, their dialogue, speaking out directly against uh, the president of the United States. This seems kind of unprecedented from somebody in the same party. Well, let me just focus on your someone in the same party language. Uh, there are lots of people who think that they're they're not all in the same party. I think that is where Corker and Flake are coming from. I think it's focused on Flake a little bit. He's probably more interesting to most of your listeners. I mean, he's LDS. A number of people I've listened to or talked with characterize his speech on the House floor, which, by the way, those floor speeches like almost never get any attention. Right. This one riveted people. And anyway, I heard lots of my Latter-day Saint friends characterize it as like a, a conference talk, you know, just kind of, and, and uh, some of my non-LDS friends were very moved by it. Uh, so it was a, you know, it was a, a, a cry of the heart for, from a guy, but it's interesting in his case. It's very interesting because Flake, I think, predated the Tea Party movement, but people, when he was in the House, he would clearly have been part of the Tea Party-like caucus. It was very very conservative. He moves to the Senate, and it, possibly this has to do with representing the whole state and not a particular district. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't followed his career intimately, but uh, he believes that in this new world, he couldn't get reelected. And therefore, that so A, he just, I think, decided not to run again, and B, to use that as an opportunity to say, hey, hey, there's a problem here. Hmm. You know, try to try to illuminate the problem. And a lot of what he talked about was uh, was the manner of dialogue and how you know how his his view of of, of Trump's 
President Trump's limitations. But um, no, uh, a lot of people thought it was a very moving speech, got all kinds of press. The, the New York Times did a very big piece focusing on on uh, Flake's Mormon roots and how this uh, a lot of this came out of his his personal religious faith faith view that he was being true to. I mean, that's amazing, really. And um, I mean, walking away, just being done with it, um, d- does any of it matter to the party? And will will uh, President Trump's – the person he's going to back – I mean, A, are they going to win? And um, what, what does it do to have a party so divided that – like Corker, for example, is saying it's time to you know get out the daycare. The daycare needs to be watching the president more closely. Well, uh, boy, there's all kinds of speculation on on that because, as, as I say, to say there's a party, you've got a very strong force within the party uh, who's aiming to disrupt the establishment part of the party, and that's not just Steve Bannon. That's that's a you know local Tea Parties. Or, or their remnant of those Tea Parties. Um, this this kind of gets to the division. I mean, stripped of everything else. I mean, you know, uh, Senator Flake is extremely decent person, acting out of motivation. You know, his religious motivation, saying basically, I'm not going to change so I can get elected. A lot of that has nothing to do with Trump or the Republican Party. Arizona has been moving from red to blue. It's, mm. it's purplish now. And, and, you know, he's not going to – he can't hold – he, Flake, can't hold all those positions to get enough Democrats and enough Republicans to vote for him. So he's stepping down. I mean, you know, it's, yeah. it's not uh, – um, but that has a lot more to do with the local politics of Arizona, I think. Than does, like, Corker, I don't think Corker needs to step down. I mean, he is, but uh, I don't think he needs to step down in, in his state. That that's going to be a Republican seat, yeah. To, uh, unless, well, unless it's not, unless uh, an odd person gets nominated. Does it does but, it scare uh, the president? I mean, or does he just assume that they'll be able to fill these seats up with uh, like-minded people? I don't know. I I don't know. I mean, going after you know people in your party who are in the United States Senate of where there are only a hundred such people and you got to get 51 of those people to vote for you. And only 52 of them are in your party. I mean, uh, and, and yet uh, that, that had no effect on his going after uh, Corker and Flake, mm-hmm. not to mention McCain. So, yeah, I don't know. Don't know what his calculus is so far. He's been, you know, pretty successful. I mean, he hasn't got the, any big bills passed yet, but, um, you know, I mean, I, I don't see him changing very much going forward. No, right. A, what, a lot of what he, what he's probably counting on, which is, is true is what, how you opened up the discussion. And that is the Republicans have to have a victory, uh, to go home to their constituents or yeah. you could see a lot of Democrats. You could, could see now not a lot. There are not a lot of Republican seats up in 2018, but some of them are vulnerable. There was a uh, the flake, the flake seed, uh, Heller in Nevada is, is vulnerable. Mm. 
It's uh, – yeah. In fact, I guess that gets us to a discussion. There's a statistic out that says 7 in 10 Americans say the nation's uh, political divisions are at least as big as during the Vietnam War, according to Washington Post University of Maryland poll, um, uh, which also finds nearly 6 in 10 saying Donald Trump's presidency is making the U.S. political system more dysfunctional. What do you think about that? Are we – is it as uh, divided as it was during Vietnam? And and is this the new norm? Actually, I think it's much more, much significantly more divided than it was in Vietnam. And Viet, the Viet, we there, there's a lot of mythology about what happened to the Vietnam War, but it's, you're probably too young, Matt. I'm sorry. I yeah, no, I, that, I am. But, uh, I remember that the whole – Sturm and Drang of the uh, of the Vietnam War. It was still a very small minority, generally led by college students, people who didn't want to get drafted, who and and some professors who were against the war. It was not a popular war. That's that's for sure. But I don't think the country as a whole was nearly as divided at, at that point. I mean, you know, Richard Nixon won in '68 with. Barely in '68, but in '72, he won by a massive hmm. landslide. Uh, I think he carried all but one state, I mean, maybe well, the District of Columbia and Massachusetts. So now the divide. I apologize for not looking. I should have looked at the Washington Post poll, but the Wall Street Journal did a very similar kind of a poll, and and boy, they're just so the divisions are deeper. They're not just policy. You know, the, the uh, uh, if you look at President Trump's approval rating, for example, OK, it's not very good. Mm-hmm. In this particular poll, it was 40 percent, but only 8 percent of Democrats approve of the job he's doing. But 80 percent of the Republicans say that they, they approve him. Now, in the case of Dwight Eisenhower, 60 percent of Democrats approved of the job he was doing. Mm. Um, even Bill Clinton, it was like 40 percent of the Republicans um, were still yeah, so, on board. Yeah. Yeah. So so this divide and it's it's it's, it's more fundamental. I mean, not, not making a, any kind of a statement about uh, about people's religiosity. I have plenty of deeply religious uh, Democrat friends, but Democrats are twice as likely to say that they never go to church as Republicans. Democrats are eight times as likely to favor action on climate change than Republicans. Hmm. Um, 17% of Democrats uh, um, support the traditional definition of marriage between a man and a woman. 42% of Republicans do. 4% of Democrats support the National Rifle Association. 34% of Republicans do. Mm. I mean, it's... Um, it's so divided on so many issues. Yeah. When wow. you look at... So they ask the question, are you comfortable with the social changes in recent years? 77% of Democrats say yes, and only 30% of Republicans say yes. So, mm. uh, and the guy who did this poll is a, is a very smart guy. He's a, yeah. Bill He's a very smart guy. So the polarization, well, it's, it's not particularly new under... No, and and I'm I don't know that it's it's because of Trump or it's just Trump reflects that division. Uh, I'm kind of inclined to think that Trump reflects the division, not necessarily. I mean, he's his own unique personality. But how did he get elected uh, yeah. to the stun 
to the stun, stunningness, I can make up a word there, of, <laughs> of nearly everybody. Nearly everybody. No, it's so true, Joe. And I think that's why we'll have you, we got to have you next week and, and continue the discussion even about that poll because this is, we're polarized on everything, not just, uh, you know, military action or a war, but everything, it seems like. Joe Cannon's his name. Joe in the know. He's our Washington insider. We so appreciate him being on the show. You can find out more about Joe's work at fuelfreedom.org. Um, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll continue the journey. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Play ball! You know, um, Joe brought up a lot of interesting statistics about um, the fact that uh, how divided this country is on so many different topics, on so many different things. And yet when it comes down to it, when it comes down to you, when it comes down to uh, your beliefs... I mean, it is it is okay to have a belief, right, and to have a view of the world. It's just you don't – each one of us, I think, could still open up our minds, open up our hearts to try to understand more the opinion of another. And again, it doesn't mean you have to agree, but it does mean that if we want to make a, a, a country work, if we want to make our politics work, we do have to at least be open enough to listen, to hear, and to let something in. Remember, you can't – uh, meet a need that you don't understand, and just because I understand what you need doesn't mean I need to meet it is a basic uh, rule, I think, for all of us when it comes to this divisive political world we live in. Uh, we're going to continue the journey with with uh, helping all of us through this crazy political time. We'll be here Monday through Friday, uh, 9 to noon Eastern time, to help you get the insights you need. But it won't matter if you don't take home your learning and uh, try to start listening to more and understanding more of the positions of people around you. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Headline news, headline news, uh, the ultimate Halloween candy power ranking. They're out, folks. The website 538. Oh, really? They do random I mean, they're, polling. One, they're one of the best political polling outfits around. Right, so they, they have some fun occasionally. Uh, one, of their, one of their most popular posts of all time yeah. was, uh, what's the best sandwich? Ooh. I believe they, it was. Yeah. Did, or no, what, it was burrito. What was the best burrito in America? That was one of their highest polling wow. features on their website ever. So. I've got to go look that up. So this one, the ultimate candy power ranking, they, they look at it, they go, Halloween's simple. You provide candy, people don't egg your house. Yeah. It's pretty simple. There's no tricks if you provide the treat. It's like a mafia thing. Yeah. So you do that, everyone's happy, so they're looking at it like, okay, so what candy do people like the most? Yeah, the, it's not yeah. scientific. They said they had 8,371 different IP addresses. So the computer wow. internet addresses vote on this poll. They had 269,000 votes. Holy cow. So this know, is people, a, this is legit. people doubled, tripled up. And but it's not sponsored by one of the manufacturers. No, it's not. So they're hmm. just looking, what is the candy people okay, like? Great, great. What do you think? What, what's the most popular candy? I would say candy? Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. It is, because you saw this. Probably. No, is it wow. really? Yeah. That's just what I would go for. So it goes Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, 84% liked that. 
Now, what they did is they matched up uh, how often did fun-sized candy of a given type when it's matched up against the rest of the field. Okay. Right, so Reese's versus everything else. Snickers would be number two for me. Actually, it's Reese's miniatures. Wow. Those have, kind the of the best, same thing. those have the best ratio of chocolate to peanut butter. Then but, it goes okay. Twix, Kit Kat, yes. Snickers, yes, yes. Reese's Pieces. That's a good mix right there. Again, the chocolate peanut butter yeah. stuff going pretty high here. Milky Way, Reese's Stuffed with Pieces. That's a new version. Mm. Boy, that's a lot of Which is crazy. Reese's. And then peanut butter M&M's followed by Butterfinger. You know why it's Reese's? Because there's no wrong way to eat a Reese's. That's what they said. All the other candy bars, you can make so many mistakes. That's what E.T. said. Yeah. Do you have any problem with... No. Actually, I, he said phone home. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. How, but how did he say it? Phone home. That sounded more like, like a the grandma. older version of E.T. <laughs> so I, I, I'm, I'm, with, I'm totally in alignment By looking with at the list, it looks What's like... bottom of the list? bottom of the well, list. Well, let's just maybe quickly get that out so nobody get gets... to the bottom here. Now, they just did, what, they did top, all the pages stick together, like, they went to 86. Yeah, Where's yeah. Fifth Avenue? Where's Butterfinger? The bottom, uh, Butterfinger's 10. Ooh. So here you got Good and Plenty at 86. Uh-huh. Nick L. Lip, I'm not sure what that is, Boston Baked Beans, uh-huh. Chiclet, Super Bubble. Chiclets? Root Beer Barrels, Sugar yeah. Daddy. Those are the ones that are always at the bottom of the bag. Yeah, Tootsie yeah. Caramel Apple Pops. Those mm-hmm. are gross. Strawberry Bonbons, Sixlets, Ring Pops. Those are the bottom candies. Okay, so if you if you want to avoid mayhem on your porch, if you don't avoid want your those. pumpkin kicked in, no, no good and plenty. then you ought to start with the Reese's. Don't do my neighbor and have the pencils. Oh, oh, yeah, don't do that. Or, yeah, no, yeah, and no toothbrushes. Yeah, come on. Great insight that you only get from the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Continuing the journey, uh... What is it? Um, BBC. Some next. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at one eight five five Chat BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Terry South, South and Jeffrey Simpson. We're gathered. We're here. We're recovering from the World Series. And we're celebrating candy corn. Candy corn! Candy corn! Yes, it's candy corn day. Where did she put my candy corn? Candy corn! Okay, this is the creepiest song around the worst candy (laughs) no offense terry i love candy corn (laughs) terry can't get enough candy corn just but okay can't you when you eat a candy corn does your heart rate not go up like mine no you elevates you eat just a few pieces you don't eat the entire no just a few pieces elevates my heart rate no it's fine i could eat a kit kat and it won't elevate my heart rate hmm interesting but candy corn Anyway, it's candy corn day. You know, candy corn uh, in the late 1800s, George Renninger of Wonderly Candy Company created this colorful confection to celebrate the beauty of corn, which, by the way, we do not do enough of. Celebrate corn? Yeah. I went in a corn maze on Saturday. Did you now? Yeah, it was great. How do we not celebrate corn enough when corn is in practically everything? I know. It's in everything. That's why we should celebrate it more. But Hmm. we don't. We... We just, you know, we just eat everything with corn syrup and, you know, tortilla chips. Right. And, but nobody 
thinks, hey, I'm so grateful for corn. We need to celebrate it. Can you imagine if we didn't have corn? What would we eat? We'd have probably just puffed rice. Mm. We'd have rice syrup. But at least that will rice milk. snap, crackle, pop. Yeah, well, let's someday celebrate them. <laughs> the, the, the great uh, threesome. Uh, candy corn day is uh, its something we're all going to want to celebrate, even if you don't like the candy corns. And sure, they get a little stale as they sit in the jar and nobody wants to eat them. If you add a wick to it, then it turns into a... Candy candle. Yeah. A handy candy candle. Should be in every 72-hour kit. Absolutely. Hey, by the way, uh, just in on CNN, I saw Paul Manafort turning himself in. Yes. Really? It's official. He did his... You don't mess around with the Russian bootleg DVDs. It's like jury duty. You just show up. <laughs> so, uh, so you really will be arrested if you're watching bootleg Russian bootleg DVDs. I live there. I know what's going on. You've, and I may or may not have come back with some. Well, I sure hope not. That's why I said may or may not. Right. So now you'll never know. Except you have watched every movie on the face of the earth. Confirm nor deny. Yeah. Interesting. Let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on that we should be paying attention to? Special Counsel Robert Mueller on Monday filed at least 12 federal charges against former Trump campaign chief Paul Manafort and his business associate Rick Gates. 12 charges. Wow. Along with several laundering charges, not like clothing, but oh, money. Good. Uh, the pair were hit with federal fraud-related charges of conspiracy against the United States. Perhaps at the forefront of everyone's mind is the possible Manafort flipping yeah. on uh, certain Anybody. principal individuals. Uh, the rumors began last summer when prosecutors warned Manafort he was a potential target in the investigation, igniting speculation that Mr. Manafort might try to cut a deal to avoid prosecution. This side of the New York Times, Trump's lawyer has dismissed rumors that Manafort would or could offer damaging information on the president, while Trump's close friend, Roger Stone, said of Manafort, he is not going to lie. Hmm. You know, what's weird about this is uh, because that with everybody touts the president's business savvy. The president does, yes. Yeah, but um, it seemed, but I mean, it kind of got him elected because everyone's like thinking he knows how to fire people. But it, it seemed well, like TV he, show, yeah. maybe he shouldn't have hired Manafort ever. Well, and that's telling because when this started coming out, one, he was ejected quickly yeah. from the campaign. He hardly and then they, was anything. And even though he was the chairman and the, the campaign, you know, he was in Boss, charge, yeah. CEO, they called him. He, um, they, 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 oh, he really didn't have that big of an influence. He didn't do much when he was here. There was a lot of that yeah. kind of talk coming Why did out you of have him, people involved okay. in the campaign. So it's kind of, they're trying to It's got to be scary, themselves. though, to think one of your people's been arrested now. Indicted on 12 counts. Yeah. He was in that adoption, not adoption Russian yeah. meeting. Remember that one? So, oh, yeah. Yeah. We'll see what happens. President Donald Trump's approval rating has plummeted to an all-time new low in a NBC Wall Street Journal poll with just 38% of Americans approving of the job performance of the president. According to NBC, the number marks the lowest in modern times for a president at this stage of his presidency. Trump's best numbers in the poll, however, come on the issues of economy and the recent hurricanes. Nearly 50% of Americans approve of how Trump handled Hurricane Harvey and Irma on the U.S. mainland. 42% say they, they approve of his handling of the economy. It seems high. Yeah, it does. Hmm. Anyway. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. That's, that's Speaking of the economy, one of the big uh, factors and indicators of the economy they look at is housing. Yeah. There's some issues with housing right now. Right. It says, despite rising home prices and growing economy, U.S. homeowners' mobility rate is stuck at a 30-year low as many opt to stay put 
rather than move to pursue job opportunities or trade up for some more space. Americans aren't moving in part because inventory levels have fallen near uh, middle multi-decade lows and home prices have risen to record levels. Many homeowners are choosing to stay and renovate, in turn making it more difficult for renters to enter the market. There's no houses because people Mm. aren't moving out and moving on. The the stagnant housing market means people aren't moving to places where they can get better jobs or within their own metropolitan area to get closer to the jobs or better schools for their children. The lack of new home construction has helped create a bottleneck in the market in which owners of starter homes aren't trading up to newly built homes, which tend to be pricier, in turn creating a squeeze for millennial renters looking to get into the market. Economists say baby boomers also aren't in a hurry to trade in the dream homes they moved into to in the middle age, in their middle age for condominiums or senior living communities because many are staying healthy longer or want to remain near their children. You know what? That is so funny because I'm having that very problem. Now you're like, do I move now? Do I, I wait? would love to have a smaller home, maybe on wheels that you could pull behind your truck. You want a tiny house? You're not quite there. I also don't have a truck. That's true. You could so, get one. I know. You know, except, I, I feel I think I'd I think I'd look really good in a truck. Except the way you would do it is you go to like say four four <laughs> dealerships and then buy a Chevy. Yeah, and then you would immediately regret your decision. And then I wouldn't buy the car. I wouldn't even yeah. buy the Chevy. That's how your auto purchases have been I going. Would just recently. lease it for four years. Right, it'd be great. Finally, uh, because I thought this would be a little awkward yeah. for us to discuss here in the in the in the workplace. Okay, yeah. Uh-huh. Seven this out of uh, USA Today. Seven signs your coworkers don't like you. Ooh. <laughs> Awkward. Yeah. That went really weird fast. Okay, let's get into this. So being able to recognize the warning signs may help you to change the things that have okay. made you an outsider. I'm going to check my list here. Here comes the tough love, yes. as the article says. Okay. One, you're invisible. Oh, totally. Mm. Probably the clearest sign that you're not well liked is that people you don't want or people don't want to talk to you. They see wow. you go the other way, or they don't see you at all. They just walk right you by. You know, it's funny. My people like to talk to me, but no one else in the building does. That's weird. Really? Invisible check. If Got you, it. If you try to engage your coworkers in conversation, they simply make eye con- or don't mm-hmm. make eye contact yeah. and just breeze by you in the yeah. hallway. They snub you. They snub you completely. Mm-hmm. Twice. I'm going to check that twice. You're the talk of the office, not in a good way. Oh, I don't think so. No one's talking about us. Are your coworkers whispering about you? Do they have nothing nice to say? Do you find yourself the source of hushed talk or nasty oh, gossip? Red rum, red rum. Yeah. Red rum. <laughs> you might have a problem. <laughs> Number three, you're getting bad body language vibes. Yeah. Whoa. yeah. Like somebody starts gyrating yeah, or something shimmy. when you. <laughs> Yeah, it, I had somebody shimmy in front of me the other day. I'm like, what the? Have you noticed your coworkers rolling their eyes or even sneering when you speak? Maybe they move away from you in the break room or speed in the other direction when you come down the oh. hall. I thought that was just because they were they were like college students. But no, apparently it's me. Yeah. Hmm. Mm, that's because they're always giving me stink eye. Number four, you're always in trouble. Yeah. Hmm. There may be a workplace conspiracy against you brewing if you constantly find yourself in the doghouse. Coworkers who don't like you may rat you out to the boss for the smallest infraction. That's why I like having Terry here, because then I can just <laughs> always send Terry on. Throw him under the bus. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, it was him. Uh, five people don't seem to trust you. Yeah. Got Are you constantly one. being questioned? Is management constantly looking over your shoulder? Mm-hmm. There may be issues at play. Yeah. Uh-huh. Hmm. Six, everyone talks down to you. 
Yep. They don't speak to you as an equal. Do they speak to you uh, very slowly? Yes, they do. Is that why a in, nasty smirk? Is that yeah. why in your office your desk is on that elevated platform? Uh-huh. Yeah. You like looking down on I people. like looking down. Yeah. Well, actually, I just had all the legs cut off on each chair. Okay. About a foot. Yeah. So generally, if they're condescending to you and you feel things are more demeaning than normal, you may have a problem. I don't know mm. what demeaning the normal would mean. But. Yeah. What is normal, really? You, and the seventh one is you just generally feel unwelcome in the workplace. That's probably a good sign that yeah. people don't wow. like you. You know, there mm-hmm. are several things that you can do to not have to deal with any of this. What's that? Well, just work on the Matt Townsend show. So come in at like six in the morning. Yeah. No so one's nobody's even here. here. So you don't have to see anybody. Yeah. Such a and good And then kind of duck out early. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, again, you won't have to see anybody. Uh, you know what I do, too? I just go in my office and you shut the door. Hmm. If you shut the door, a lot of people won't. I mean, there's still people that don't get what the door means. But yeah, I always walk in. You always walk in. Yeah. but And then there's others that walk in. and Then they stay. Well, and you would think with my lights out hmm. and me and all dark in one room with me just sitting in my chair, you'd think they'd get the hint mm. that well, they need some private, quiet time here. You would think the trap door would be a dead ringer for, I don't want you in here. Right. Well, plus the red rum thing. So yeah, that could be just a little helpful helpful tips, just in case maybe the workplace isn't as friendly and welcoming as you think it should be. Maybe some of these things are happening. Well, are you trying to say, <clears throat> you trying to say mm-hmm. something? No, mm-hmm. I'm no. just... Mm. Thought this would be a very healthy exercise. Because I look at my checklist and I, hmm. I mean, I really nailed it. I feel like I. Wow, number four, you're always in trouble. Yeah, there's all kinds of indicators. Like Ten there, checks so. on that one. Wow. <sighs> you know who is not in trouble? Jeff Bezos. Why? He leapfrogged Bill Gates again for the title of the world's richest billionaire. Really? Mm-hmm. He's one rich dude. Yeah. Boy, great. that's some pretty tepid clapping. That's great. That's great. I mean, the guy's a billionaire. Yeah. He owns 80 million shares in Amazon. He's going to end up owning a town called Amazon if they win the bid. Well, I have won't. a feeling they won't. They're going to go to a big city. I know. You know what? It seems kind of weird because in the running are cities like Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. uh, Chicago, New York, somewhere in New York, Philadelphia, I think, or somewhere. Yep. Um, what about the West? They're already in the West. I know, but what about the Midwest? You'd you'd think a big company like that would want to be on both coasts. But you'd think that – where are they in the West, by the way? Seattle. Mm -hmm. You'd think that, by the way, going to some big city, Mm. you could tip it over. You could mess up their entire economy. A big city? Yeah. Yeah. Don't you think? I mean, it seems like it's a dangerous – What would they do in a small city? They would make the economy. They They would would absorb the the city. That's true. But they need the people, and, and that's you, you have to be in a population base yeah, that will supply true. you with the people who have the training you need. You know what, though? People will move to wherever Amazon is going. That's why the, the housing market in Seattle is so crazy is because people are moving from all over the world to work at Amazon. Right. Don't you think that it's weird that Amazon's um, uh, call letters in the stock market are A-M-Z-N? No, why? It's why? Like, it's almost amazing. I think you only get the four letters, right? Yeah, but Amazon is amazing. No, you can get three. You can have one. Jeff Bezos? Are you kidding me? Who's got one? Now Bill Gates has to answer to Jeff. No. Yeah. No, that's and, the rule. And no, be- in that Bezos, hierarchy. Bezos will drop next week behind him. They're really close. For now. Yeah. 
for now. But Having one letter seems a little smug. Word the letter T. Well, what if you're O? Oprah. Hmm. She doesn't have her own little smug. So there we are. Hushed People tones. Are always talking about hushed conversations. Back. Wow. No, we were talking about Oprah. It's happening in the workplace, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> Something's happening. Okay, we got to just revisit um, the Super Bowl. I mean, the World Series. The what? The Super Bowl? <laughs> what? Well, by the way, we could, re- we could revisit Justin Timberlake at the Super Bowl. We are, we're going to, apparently. What do you think about that? I think it's great. great. He's a great entertainer. And he's best friends with Jimmy Fallon. You may not like the music. Why? But if you want someone uh, – he did the uh, the ESPYs. ESPN has their own award show. Mm-hmm. But he was the you know the host of it and he did some comedy. He did some dance. He did some singing. Yeah. He's funny and it, it all just sort of works because you can get up there and be a masters of ceremony. Some people get up there and they can't sing so they just come out and tell some jokes. Maybe they're not very good at telling jokes. You, you, know, need, you need so. to have it all. He's yeah. got it all. Yeah. And Janet Jackson won't be with him. So it's all good. Mm, maybe. Yes. It's all safe. Oh, great. Kid-friendly. Yeah, the last thing the NFL wants is anything like that again. Yeah, the the NFL can't handle any more controversy. That's why I think think Major League Baseball is finally going to move ahead of the NFL as the most loved sport of all time. When? Right now. Mm. No, right now it is. If you watched last night's game, did you watch it at all? No. Are you kidding me? No. I was busy. Terry. 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 I, I have Terry. things to accomplish. Work to do. One and then I went to bed. I get offensive up Offensive games in yeah. the history what I read. of World Series dumb. Almost 30 runs scored. Yeah. The record is 29. They got 25. There you go. They were cranking it. It's great. And exciting. Except it went till what? Midnight Eastern? At least. It's a little, you know. Midnight 30 Eastern. Yeah, that's past my bedtime. I got to go. I know, but you don't live in the Eastern. No, but even here, I get up early. I've got to get up. I got to go to bed. But if you love sports, as I know you do. Sure, I'll read about it tomorrow and see all the highlights. It'll be great. (laughs) Oh, boy. That's just not good. I feel bad for your family. I, I used to produce morning sports radio. I couldn't actually watch the sports I was talking about, but there's plenty of coverage, so you could basically really, get the gist of what happened. you'd wake up in the morning and just get it all in. That's yeah. interesting. I stand up during every show, but today I feel like I need a seat behind me just in case I don't uh, – I, I, I might pass out. No, you, yeah, you don't. You look like, you look like you're all flushed and your shirt's off. <laughs> Why does his shirt always come off? I don't know. Hmm. It's weird because it's kind of chilly in this studio today. Right. But he always takes his shirt off. I'm not kidding. This has been an exhaust. Like every every describer or every word that people use to describe this World Series mm-hmm. has been exhausting. That's oh. A, everything you see online, exhausting. Yeah. No, I mean there's other things that are more exhausting. Like for example, have you ever watched a White House press conference? I used to That's because they exhausting. were informative. I've just stopped. Because... That is exhausting. Yeah. But watching this game, it's different for you because you had this incredibly strong favorite. And if you're a Dodgers fan or a, a pure Houston Astros fan, this would be exhausting. But I just think it's way fun to watch. Yeah. You don't have a dog in the race. 
Don't call them dogs. These are people. These well, are human beings. You've seen so how true. they bark when they get a home run. That's amazing. And then they hush the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> they run around hushing the crowd after they great. hit a home run. Don't forget the bat flip. Wait, is that what Corey, they're doing? Cody, is it Cody Bellinger hushed the crowd? Oh, is that what he did? I saw him doing that. I didn't know he was hushing the crowd. Yeah. Weren't no. they already hushed because they were in Houston? He's just telling the haters to be quiet. Yeah. Hey, you can hate all you want, but I'm the, I'm bad to the bone. Hmm. At least he wasn't, you know. He's out of a slump. At least he wasn't stretching his eyes no, that and was, calling that was totally a Japanese pitcher a little China man, which that was didn't make any sense. Totally inappropriate. Right. And it's like a five-game suspension next season, right? Th- I think there's yeah. a neat story. I think uh, then the person that was the the pitcher that was being made fun of, you Darvish, made um, through an intermediary said, "I understand. Yeah. You don't. You're a good guy. You just didn't." know what you were doing exactly and emotions run high they, they made friends it's kind of neat yeah because it's it's just people being kind of ignorant and he just said why hold a grudge move on let's hold yeah i'll show you when i get and i pitch against you <laughs> i'll next put time. one in your ear don't worry about it and he, he very well may if this <laughs> goes it. to a game seven i think yeah. he would be the game seven pitcher oh this is exciting it's almost as exciting as our next guest mm. brian tracy the one of the one of the greatest uh, kind of business speakers around, major motivator, major motivational speaker is going to be uh, up next. We're, we will be revisiting an interview I did with Brian where we will learn to think and act like the most successful people. Uh, some basic skills for all of us that need to pick up our game. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. In business and in life, you must be smart to get ahead. As things shift and change quickly, you need to tap into your brain, learn how to think smartly in order to make sure that uh, you maximize your opportunities. Brian Tracy is chairman and CEO of Brian Tracy International, a company specializing in the training, specializing in the training and development of individuals and organizations. And Brian joined the show a few months ago to help us discover how to reprogram our brain for success and talk about uh, his new book. I started the interview by asking him about the the new book. The book is titled Get Smart, How to Think and Act Like the Most Successful and Highest Paid People in Every Field. I came from a poor background. I didn't graduate from high school and I washed dishes and worked in construction. I was working on a farm when I was 23. Mm. And then I started to ask, why is it that some people are more successful than others? And it started me off on a lifelong quest. And what I found was that they just simply thought differently. It wasn't as if they started off with different a different brain. Everybody's got the same brain going back 100,000 years, but people used it. Now, one of the great breakthroughs in the last few years in, in what they call neuroscience is neuroplasticity, which means that your brain is constantly changing based on the material you feed into it. Right. It's like your body changes if you eat different foods. Well, if you start to think differently and you start to think like successful people, you start to make different choices and get different results, which sort of reinforces that. It causes what are called new, new neural pathways is more and more you start to think the way other successful people think. Like we have in our society, we have serial entrepreneurs. We have people who start business after business after business. Richard Branson has started 82 successful businesses. Mm. How on earth can one person do that? Most of us can't make one business <laughs> successful. That's well, so what true. they've done is they've just created a series of neural patterns that enables them to recognize a business opportunity 
and then to find the right people who can help him to realize that business opportunity. So, so, so entrepreneurial thinking, which is one of the ten chapters, is just the way people think like this. They see business opportunities everywhere. Well, another way of thinking is, is long-term thinking. They, is they have long-term goals, and then they have short-term plans. And so every day, a minute of every day, they're working on their most important goals. And they accomplish ten times as much as other people. And these are all just ways of thinking. Isn't and that I, interesting? I summarize yeah, go a ahead. lifetime of stuff in my book. It's because there, we. It's not like a get quick or get rich quick thing. It's but there are things that healthy, successful, high paid people are doing, and they're probably the things that the rest of us aren't doing. You know, like yes. like and, thinking long term. Yes, exactly. Well, you know, like in business, for example, uh, they've spent millions of dollars to determine the reasons for business success and business failure, and what they found is. It all boils down to one thing. Businesses are successful because of high sales. Businesses fail because of low sales. And everything else is commentary. Everything else leads up or leads away. And so what do successful businesses do from IBM all the way down? Is they focus on sales all day long. Right. What do most small business people do? They play with their Internet, mm-hmm. and their phones, and their text messages all day long. You know, the average, the average small business owner spends 11% of their time in actual sales and marketing, and the other 89% of their time doing stuff that does not contribute any revenues to the business. And That's then they so wonder true. why they're struggling all the time. Yeah. Well, the answer is, go out and talk to customers all day long. What? I don't Real want to do that. <laughs> I'm too busy making the widget that I don't have time yeah, to go focus on my sales. Yeah, and I'm too busy sending an email. <laughs> we, we, we say that we say social networking is social not working. It's so true. It really is. Yeah, and and that, that seems like a no-brainer, Brian, but it's, yep. but it's do it. I guess that's yep. the thing is these are, these are thought patterns that I guess we could eventually create these new neural pathways to, but I've, yep. then, I've still got to go do it, don't I? Yep. I, I, one of my clients started with two guys on a kitchen table with an idea. They'd all been fired from a company, and but they still had the customers because they'd sold the company in business services. So they said, "What are we going to do?" And they said, "Well, let's start a new company, selling the same services, and go back to the customers that we had sold to, and have them come to our new company." And so they got around the kitchen table, and they saw how we do this. Well, we'll all go out and call on them, and they did. Today, it's got a four billion dollar business with four thousand employees nationwide. Flies around in a private jet. And I asked him what the secret of his success is calling on customers. <laughs> oh, man. Jeez, yeah. That's so deep. It, it seems like, anyway, yeah. that's one chapter. Right. That's one chapter. But we talk that many, we find it, that one kind small twist in your thinking can totally transform your life. One of my favorite chapters is called goal-oriented thinking versus reaction-oriented thinking. Is people who are goal-oriented, who are very clear about what they want to accomplish, and they have plans to achieve it, and they work on them every day, automatically accomplish 10 times as much as people without goals. Hmm. And when they did, did this recent study on rich people, they say 85% of rich people have one big goal that they work on every day. Only 3% of poor people have a big goal, and they don't work on it all the time. So yeah. you just have to decide. Do I want to be a rich person or a poor person? Well, if you want to be a rich person, no guarantee you're going to become wealthy, 
but at least you're going to make a lot more money than if you do the things that poor people do. Right. And the world is full of people doing the things that poor people do, and they're wondering why they're not getting better financial results. Right. And, and again, our minds spread too, uh, spread too far out. We're not, we're not focused on the one thing, and we're not selling, and we don't have the entrepreneurial vision, and we don't think long term. I mean, it's... It's uh, it, it kind of then implodes on itself, doesn't it? It seems like some of these would kind of strengthen the next chapter that you that you talk about. All of these can kind of work together. Everything everything works together, and the wonderful thing is, if you think clearly about who you are and what you want, then you get better results. When you get better results, you feel happy, you feel powerful, you feel in control of your life, you have high self esteem, you feel like a winner, and so you are internally motivated. To do more good things, yeah. to develop greater clarity about your goals, to start earlier, to work harder, to finish your tasks. You know, I've, I'm the best-selling author in the world on time management as well. And, and I came to a conclusion after 30 years that all business success comes from task completion. And yeah. I, thought, I, I sat down and said, geez, I said, geez, that's a neat thought. Task completion. It's not task working on. It's not task thinking about. It's task completion. It's people who are successful are people who complete their tasks. Well, if that's the case, and everybody automatically recognizes that that's true, by the way, your whole reputation in business is determined by whether or not you're t- you complete tasks. If you do, you're highly respected and esteemed and well-paid, and if you don't, you're not. So then if that's the case, then what you have to do is say, all right, then the more important the task is that I complete, the more successful I will be. Oh, wow, this is deep. Hmm. So you organize your day each day, and you say, of all the things I could do today, what is the most important task that I could start and finish? And then you start on that task, and you work only on that task until it's done, and you don't do anything else. We say, don't check your email in the morning. Don't come to work and turn on your email. Leave it off until you finish your first and most important task. That simple strategy, which is a thinking strategy, and then a discipline strategy, will transform your life. You're basically just teaching us more about how to get our brain uh, to create some new neural pathways, some new habits, and you're taking the ideas from like the most successful people or highest paid people. But the idea, so let's say somebody runs a charity and they're not into making money, but but every one of these principles would make their charity just as valuable and productive. Yes. Now, I, I do a lot of work with charities on their boards and strategic planning. And a charity is not a nonprofit. Right. A charity has to earn a profit, which is an, a revenues in excess of expenditures, in order to survive. So people say, well, we're a nonprofit. We're not into profits. You, of course you are. Yeah, to survive you, you are. distribute them to shareholders. That's right. And so, so, so you have to offer much greater value than your costs, or you go out of business. And I've worked with charities who have gone out of business because they had this sort of elevated idea that, I'm, I'm saintly. I'm good. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a fine person. I don't dirty my hands with this, this money thing. Of course you do. Right. The, the heads of most charities that I work with spend almost all of their time fundraising, going around and asking people, please give me money. Yeah. And in business, you know, the, 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 I, I say to my, my audiences, I say, the business of business is asking people for their money, saying, please give me your money. And then they, they ask you, Why? And you have to give them a good reason. So you have to say, give me your money because. And if your, money, if your reason is good, well, then they'll give you the money. If your reason is not good, then they'll say, no, let me think about it. I'm not interested. But that's all business people do is ask people to give that's me right. your money. 
And that's what, that's what nonprofits do. That's right. And the critical thing is the reason. So a really good, a good, really good business gives a really good reason so that the person they're asking for says, I want that. I want that product. I like that. That sounds good. I will mo- I'd be more than willing to give you my money for that product. So that's the entire essence of modern business. And, and if you can do that consistently, repetitively, in, as some of your chapters, in a very goal-oriented way, asking for it, looking for, out for the long term, uh, I guess, enter, or recreating your products, um, this can go on forever. Yeah, so like we have two, two chapters. One is called Entrepreneurial Thinking versus Corporate Thinking, you know, bureaucratic thinking. The other is Rich Thinking versus Poor Thinking. Now, in, in both cases, what does the entrepreneur do? The entrepreneur looks for an opportunity to serve customers with a product or service better than anybody else is currently doing at a, at a reasonable cost. Rich people are always looking for the same thing. Is they're looking, how can I serve more people? How, how can I combine my resources to create a product? Look at Richard Branson. You know, he, started, uh, he started 85 businesses, three of which didn't work. 82 <laughs> worked. And he starts airlines, and he starts record stores, and he starts book labels, and he starts uh, all kinds of different businesses. I, I was in South Africa recently, and they have, they've got what is called virgin health clubs. Hmm. And they are the elite health clubs with gyms and pools and everything else, and they're all over the country, virgin health clubs. It was just a, a Branson idea. So what does he do? He looks at the market. He says, where is there an opportunity to serve people better, more efficiently, maybe most co- more cost-effective than they are being served today. Hmm. And if you look at your world like that, is how can I serve more people better? It that's, really That's what it's about. It's service to others. Yes. It's the key to wealth. It's the key to, it's the key to successful business. I, 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 I've often thought of, of writing an article or a book called ER, and ER is basically says, well, it's the key to success in business. Well, what does ER stand for? So, well, if you want to sell uh, to a prospect, you have to make them happy. Okay, that's yeah. the key to business success is, is customer satisfaction, happy customers. But then your competitors come along, and they want your uh, customer as well. So how do they get their customer? They make them happier. Hmm. And so how do you make your customers happier than your competitors? Well, you have to do it faster, better, cheaper, <laughs> yeah. more convenient. <laughs> yeah. In other words, ER is the key to success in business. You have to, you have to dominate the er. <laughs> And, and you think of it like that, and it's really quite funny. That really is, but it's true, huh? Yeah, it's absolutely true. Hey, Customers as, are very selfish. As we, uh, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Well, they go to anybody who will treat, who will take care of them better than someone else. Yeah, is um, Brian? You've in business, you, you've been so successful, but you've also seen so many people. Um, we've only got two or three more minutes with you. What would you say? And you, you also, it could be from the book, but what, what are we missing? Like, what would you say is one of the most important things overall that we, that we just need to do and get and understand about, about business and people? The most, the most extensive research that's been done, 50 years plus Nobel Prize winning research, focuses on two things. One is called long-term thinking, and the other is called slow thinking. And that's versus short-term thinking, which is now, 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 immediate gratification, or fast thinking, which is giving no thought, just making decisions quickly. So you combine the two, and what forces you to be a long-term thinker and think slowly is goals. Sitting down with a piece of paper 
and writing down your goals and being very clear about what you want and when you want it and then making a plan to achieve it. Be clear about your plan. Be clear about the additional skills that you'll need because every new goal requires new skills or improved skills. And then the most important things you can do each day to achieve your most important goals. This requires thoughtfulness. It requires long-term thinking, slow thinking. It requires informed thinking. It requires focused thinking. It requires clarity, concentration. The wonderful thing about it is it really helps your mind. It's like sending your mind to a, um, an aerobics class. It makes your brain so much better and smarter, and you accomplish 10 times as much as the average person. Mm. So true, though, isn't it? Basic, basic principles. Well, Brian Trace, thank you so much for your time and your insight. Hey, Matt. Nice to talk to you. You have a great day. You bet. Take care. Again, Brian Tracy, go go look up his website, uh, briantracy.com, and uh, so many books, so many resources. Again, it's isn't it interesting how you can take it back to some very basic skills, some very basic habits and uh, that that make successful people successful. Their orientation, their 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 focus, their process, um the creation of systems, slowing down their thinking a little bit. Having a plan, learning, man, just focusing on sales. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, we really want to be rich. We want our company to take off. But only 11% of your focus is on sales? But that's the majority of your work? Crazy. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we'll continue the discussion. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. Yes, it's that time of the show when we get to the empty news segments and uh, find out what's going on around the country with them crazy folks that you're living next to. Who better to help us than our empty news anchor, Jeff Simpson. The empty news team, first on the scene, fifth on facts. So you've probably at one point in your life, you've sat next to somebody on an airplane who... Maybe it was a little too big to take up one seat. Yeah. Maybe should have gotten two seats. Yeah, absolutely. So some people, it could be said, then are too big to take up one seat on an airplane, right? Yeah. Can you be too big for prison? Oh, boy. Well, don't. I don't know that we should go here. Why not? Because then all of a sudden everyone's going to be like, I'm, I got to get eating. I'm too big for prison. Or maybe to avoid prison time, Martha you Stewart just start putting she on was the too big for prison. <laughs> so uh, the there's an attorney for a 72 year old Florida man who was convicted in a tax scheme. Mm. Okay, and the lawyer is using obesity to try to keep his client out of prison. Oh boy! So Curtis Fallgatter, come again, Fallgatter. Uh, wrote in a court filing on Monday that Stephen Donaldson Sr. doesn't have an average man's life expectancy because he's five foot nine and weighs 200, 273 pounds. Oh, boy. For that reason, the attorney wrote, it's not right to make him serve six years and four months in prison. Fallgatter wrote that the prison term could translate to 61% of Donaldson's remaining time on Earth. So <laughs> Unless uh, he goes to prison and loses some weight. That's true. Because they don't have a great diet there. No. I've heard. I, I mean, mean, you've yeah, been in I, prison more than I have. Yeah, I just, but I just visit, but okay. I, and I don't usually get to eat there. Yeah. 
So the Tampa Bay Times reports Donaldson was sentenced last week in Tampa for his part of peddling an offshore tax shelter that cost the IRS an estimated $10 million. Oh, boy. Do you think he's going to get away with that? No. No. Sorry. Doesn't work that way, pal. I think they'll say, why don't you gain another, you know, 27 pounds, then we'll talk. I mean, but can't you see, I mean, that would might be an argument you could you could use if the guy weighed 600 pounds. Sure. Like, what do you do when somebody really is so, so big that, yeah, I mean, that might make sense, but not at that weight. Here's something else that somebody tried in order to avoid prison time. Okay. And it has to do with food. A 21-year-old man wanted for probation violations surrendered at a suburban Detroit police station with a dozen donuts for officers. <laughs> Which is funny. I love how Jim Gaffigan, the comedian, talks about donuts. And he says, you know, it's an interesting stereotype that uh, that cops love donuts. Because you know who else loves donuts? Everyone else. Yeah. Every other human <laughs> on earth. And everybody turning themselves in loves yeah. a good donut. So it says the sweet gesture didn't help Michael Zadel. He was still sentenced to 39 days in jail Tuesday, a day after walking into the Redford Township Police Department. Sergeant Dwayne Gregg says Zadel has, had promised to turn himself in if a post on the department's fa- Facebook page was shared 1,000 times. The threshold was easily met. Gregg says Zadel was arrested when he appeared Monday with a bag of donuts and a bagel. He told TV station WXYZ that cops like donuts, <laughs> and he wanted to reward them for any inconvenience. Oh, that's a smart guy, though. So Greg got the bagel. Did other officers eat the donuts? The sergeant says no comment. Well, that's why I told you. I drive around in my car all day with bagel or with donuts and bagels because you never know when you're going to be pulled over, that- and you want to you want to be you know you want to be hospitable. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, donut. Can I get you a donut? Do you want some candy corn? Because today's candy corn day. Sir, <laughs> do you want some candy corn? But again, who in the world doesn't love donuts? That's right. No, it's it's a universal. So speaking of uh, you crashing in your car. Oh, I didn't crash. Well, you're eating donuts, which is, would distract you. I, I would know, just I'm, assume I'm driving that you're... with my knee. I'm safe. I'm good. Driving with your knee? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well. It's all good. Uh, there's a New Jersey newspaper that uh, has scored an easy scoop. A Corvette in the newsroom of the Press of Atlantic City newspaper in Pleasantville. The newspaper reports the car's driver fell asleep Tuesday before driving through an intersection. Oh, boy. Uh, jumping a curb, traveling about 75 feet, and then slamming into the newspaper's office. Wow. Yeah. Luckily, n- no one was hurt. The crash shattered two first-floor windows and knocked over several filing cabinets. The female driver and a male passenger are being questioned by police. Hmm. You know what would be frustrating? What? Is if somehow this uh, news organization still got scooped by a different one. Yeah, right. <laughs> How did we miss out on this one? We still missed it. <sighs> okay, and here's one more. Last Speaking of least. Halloween. Yeah. So, in Volusia County, Florida, there's a, the sheriff's deputies say a boy found a good use for a selfie stick What's during it? a clown encounter. Oh, no. See... Put his phone on a selfie stick? Is well, that what he did? Well, just hear me out. Oh, boy. So, he was on his way to school. 
The sheriff's office posted about the case on Facebook with a warning to evil clowns and anyone considering creepy clown activity. We will not be there to save you if your intended target defends himself or herself, and you may face other penalties as well. Deputies say the 11-year-old was riding his bicycle near Pine Ridge High School on Howland Boulevard when the boy said the clown jumped out from behind a light pole and bushes. The victim told deputies the clown attempted to grab him, and while no physical contact was actually made, the victim feared the clown was going to hit him. So, out of self-defense, the victim said he grabbed his metal selfie stick and hit the clown several times. Oh, boy. The sheriff's office said the victim ran as the clown chased him a short distance. Then the clown tripped and fell and went back (laughs) into the bushes. The victim notified a school crossing guard and some teachers about the encounter. No deputy saw the clown in the area. The victim said the clown was 5 feet, 9 inches tall, weighing about 230 pounds, with blue clown hair. Oh, no. A rainbow-painted face. Uh Uh-huh. A red foam nose, a green long-sleeve shirt, Mm -hmm. black pants, and black boots. Yeah, that's scary. See, I don't get how this 11-year-old could remember so many details about this clown. I'm always worried that if something like this happens to me, I'm not going to have anything to give the cops. I'll be like, "Uh, Ah. he was probably a man. Very clowny. That's about all I've got. Yeah. It's well. Sometimes when you have such an incredibly scary thing, it actually makes it the memory more vivid, more vibrant. Yeah, it's maybe. kind of just works that way. But how sad would that be to go to work the next day? Like, ah, I'm going to have to come in late. I got beat up by an 11-year-old with a selfie stick. <laughs> That's why, you know what? Maybe it's time to arm your kids when they go out. Give them a selfie stick. Protect themselves from the clowns. Scary. A lot of... Lot of- Ooh, I just beat up a clown right there. He, yeah, that that sound is the sound of when a clown takes a whipping, but keeps on a ticking. See, that's the great advice we give you here on the Matt Townsend Show. Up next, McKenna Baus will be in the house. Baus in the house with a little mind bender to uh, you know stretch our minds a bit. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends. It is the House of Bows. McKenna Bows joins us. And uh, today we're talking about charisma. Do you have it? I hope so. You do. You're very charismatic. Thank you. Um, So because some people think, you know, you're born with it, but maybe you're not. Yeah. So there are some people who are naturally going to be just a little more charismatic. Yeah. Um, But it is definitely something that can be taught. And there's different, you know, particular behaviors you can engage in that are going to make you come across as more charismatic. Really? Let's get some of those because that's one of the things Jeff and I keep talking about is how we both lack charisma. Well, I don't believe that. You're but... all... oh, <laughs> um, So some of the things you can include to make yourself come across as more charismatic, yeah. uh, using rhetorical questions, mm. um, using expressions of moral conviction. You know, I, I believe. Yeah, strong believe conviction. Yeah. Strong convictions, things like that. Um, those are some of the verbal yeah. cues you can give. Non-verbally, making more eye contact makes you come across as more charismatic and using an animated voice. If you're speaking more animatedly, more passionately. Yeah. But not like, hello, everybody. Maybe not quite like that. Not like that. No. Not like that. Not, yeah, not like a cartoon. No. But just, you know, make sure the enthusiasm excited. is there. Exactly. It really is just 
it's, I guess, having more personality. Yeah, just letting yourself not necessarily be held back. Yeah. Um, it really helps. But, you know, before you're going to go and try out, you know, building these different skills, you might want to see, okay, where am I at right now? Mm-hmm. What, what's my baseline yeah. that I'm starting out at? And so um, some researchers, they have put together this little test you can give yourself, a little six-question cool. okay. quiz to see the how charismatic test. you are. Exactly. And cool thing about it, the scores people gave themselves tended to – reflect the scores other people gave oh, them. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so it's kind of accurate. It's pretty accurate in that regard. So, okay. Let's do the quiz. Quiz, it starts, has two different categories. Okay. Measuring the um, sort of the ability you have to influence people, to guide others, and the other uh, measures your affability, your ability okay. to make people feel at ease. Yeah. So what you're going to do is for each of these statements, you're going to rate yourself one to five. Okay. One strongly disagree, five strongly agree, and the higher the score, the more charismatic you are. Okay. So, number one, has a presence in a room. Do you have oh, a presence boy. in a room? I'm going to show up. Okay. I'll just give myself a score. <laughs> number two, do you feel like you have the ability to influence people? Do you feel like you yeah, are influential okay. on those around you? Yep. And then question number three, do you know how to lead a group? Okay. And then, so now we're on to the second section, measuring affability. Do you make people feel comfortable? <laughs> okay. Number five, do you smile at people often? Hmm. <laughs> okay. And six, do you feel like you can get along with anyone? Ah, oh, there you go. Oh, yeah. I'm totally charismatic. Oh, oh! Apparently, I'm not. Darn it! That's <laughs> a pretty easy test. It's pretty easy, and so and what you, you know, yeah, yeah. So what you do then is for each of those sections. So the first three questions you average those out, yeah. and then the second three questions you average those out, and that gives you together. And your, it's a great skill, but it's also something I guess you can learn. Exactly, and so if you feel like you know those are things that you're not doing particularly well on, well, maybe I don't smile at people enough. Yeah, start that's smiling. Smart, that's easy. Start smiling. Exactly. Jeff, start smiling more. McKenna Bouse is her name. Bouse in the house, helping us be uh, more charismatic. Thanks, McKenna. My pleasure. We'll continue the journey. BYU, uh, you know, that's our goal, is to help you be the best in the world. the matt townsend show your guide on the side follow dr matt on twitter at dr matt show call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU this is the matt townsend show dr matt townsend now on byu radio byu radio good morning friends welcome to the program dr matt here your coach your guide on the side so much to uh, cover so much to talk about Happy Monday to you. Uh, do not be discouraged if you were a, a Dodgers fan who was waiting and spending all night uh, not knowing what was going to happen to your team. I went to sleep before it was over. Oh. I just gave up on him. I thought, oh, it's 11-8. It's over. No. And then they tied it no. up. And then they tied it up. And then they went ahead. And then they tied it up. Oh, it was incredible. Great uh, game last night. Um, really, honestly, uh just fun. It, it, I think this is going to be really good for baseball. A lot of kids are going to say, "I want to, 
I want to play ball now. That, I think, a, and I think a lot of people that may have been sympathetic toward Houston were not happy with what one of their players did, and we're hoping that this would sway things in the Dodgers' favor. A little karma. Yeah, no. But see, it doesn't always work that way. Maybe karma might take place over years. So you're telling me people that do bad things, they can get away with it and good things can happen to them? Yes. Darn it. That's what I'm telling you. It's called college sports, pro sports, high school sports, drama club. It's everywhere. I guess Band, it doesn't always band. work that way because the BYU football players are good people. They are. It just sometimes karma rotates. Sometimes it's just things happen because not because you it'll, did it. It'll wrong. rotate and fall right on your head. Yeah. Sometimes. Wait. So it kind of morphs, kind of like a karma chameleon. Yeah. It's a. It's a karma, 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 don't, karma. Don't don't karma chameleon. What? Don't be so. Don't don't. Don't be, don't be that way. Yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> um, just enjoy it. Uh, we got a lot to cover today, and uh, so much, so little time. It is candy corn day, so the day you will want to pull out those waxy candies and celebrate their sugary goodness. Grocery store I went to over the weekend yeah. didn't have candy corn. They had like the fall harvest mix. No, 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 I'm no. Like, what is that? No, you need a candy corn. Right. Because you've got to eat the little white tip off, mm-hmm. then flip it over, eat the yellow base off. There you go. Or you yeah. just eat it. You don't have to play with your food. No, you got to play with it. But you, these people that try to like give you the same kind of pumpkin. Yeah. No. No. How many other videos are going to give you a shark and a piece of bacon high-fiving each other? Well, Not... But that, that's, that's happening in the online video of Candy Corn. If you want to go celebrate it. It's on our Twitter feed. It's on our Twitter feed. <laughs> and I decided to ruin people's mornings with that. It's really what we call creepy on a variety of levels. Yeah. It's really odd. And I'm not sure, honestly, if this helps sell any Candy Corn. Because. I don't know. It's pretty great. It is one of those videos, like I told you, like, this is pretty bad, but I love it. Okay. I watch it and I don't like it or love it. Mm. I just want it off. <laughs> there we go. And there it's we go. And it worked. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's get to the headlines with Terry. Terry, what's going on around the country? President Trump's former campaign manager, Paul Manafort, and Manafort's business associate, Rick Gates, were indicted on Monday as part of a special counsel, Robert Mueller's ongoing probe into Russian meddling. In the 2016 election, but despite Manafort's one-time role with the Trump campaign, the 12 charges brought Monday have very little to do with Trump or Russian collusion. Manafort stands accused of massive financial crimes, including tax evasion, money laundering, fraud, false statements, and conspiracy against the United States. The charge closest to the Russian investigation is acting as an unregistered agent of a foreign principal. That's crazy. Experts believe Mueller's approach to the investigation will likely follow a historic pattern. Work on peripheral figures first, encourage them to cooperate with the government against their bosses in exchange for a lighter sentence, and then repeat the process until the circle is closed tightly around the, quote, godfather or criminal mastermind. <laughs> Scary. Yeah. Who? I wonder who is the godfather we'll find out. slash criminal mastermind. Yeah. Oh, wow. So that's one indictment, or two indictments. Because yeah, they've got two guys the other there, guy. Yeah. But um, I guess there could be more. There could be. But again, wow. none of these have to do, and President Trump pointed that out today on Twitter, 
the stuff he's been indicted for happened years ago, yeah. and then in big capital letters, no collusion. What's the big deal? Yeah. yeah. Whereas probably other presidents probably would have just stayed quiet and let this thing run its course. Yeah. But what do they know? Yeah. Know. Yeah. Just complicate the issue by getting involved. In other news, the Washington Free Beacon, funded by a Republican backer of Trump rival Senator Marco Rubio, was the client for what ended up being the Trump dossier. Oh, really? Quickly, uh, this Fusion, uh, what's Fusion 360 something or other? Mm-hmm. It's a research uh, group. They understood one big thing about Trump's business empire. It seemed inordinately weighted towards Russia, so they turned much of their effort into untangling that part of the business's story. Now, this company, they like to, they like a, a treasure map, they like a mystery, they like to find <laughs> hard documents. Not okay. necessarily yeah. they're leaning one way or the other, right. like political, ideological wise. They just like to have a challenge. Yeah, who does? So they kept digging into stories and saying that what, Trump's business is really leaned towards Russia. This is interesting. So they just kept digging and uh-huh. digging and digging. Um, but again, they were funded by a Republican backer of Senator Marco Rubio when he was running for president. Uh-oh. Now, on Friday, it came out that this Trump dossier was actually funded by the Democrats. Okay. Right? Yeah, right. So it, right. it originated with Republican challengers to Trump who were trying to find opposition research right. during the primaries. It seems to have been possibly handed off to the Democrats when it was just Hillary Clinton versus Trump. Oh, boy. And then nothing really came of it until after he was elected, they were going to have that press conference and then that morning, remember they had all the folders stacked up yeah. to show yeah. how we're mm-hmm. separating the company uh-huh. from the man yeah. and all right. that. And then the dossier came out that morning. and Their dossier! So it says the history of the firm's principles uh, suggests that the main motive was the thrill of the chase, the research company. The serious money and, and, and also the money, how big it was. In September 2015, the Washington Free Beacon, whose main funder is Republican hedge fund manager Peter Singer, at the time a Rubio backer and a fierce Trump critic, hired... The, uh, the, the, the research firm to look into Trump, they began with a document scrub collecting all the legal papers related to Trump's four bankruptcies. Uh, using uh, PACER, the federal government's repository for legal cases, they began to track lawsuits. Help from former British intelligence agents came in spring 2016 when researchers sought some more uh, specialized expertise on Russia and hired an old acquaintance, Christopher Steele, who was the Ooh, former yeah. British agent mentioned yeah. when this all came out. The uh, So it says the documents were suggested that Trump's businesses were heavily weighted to Russia and Russians, and uh, they asked Steele if he could go kind of ask around his circle of intelligence circles any information if they could gather, and apparently he found some things. Oh, yeah. But, again, we haven't seen what the... The tangled... It just says he might be exposed when it comes to business to possible blackmail from Russia because of things. Oh, sure. Wasn't The Thrill of the Chase the sequel book to The Art of the Deal? Could have, been, could have been. Yeah. So, it, it was the lesser, it, it was the lesser uh, read book. Yeah. The interesting fact is all the many hands that had a piece in building the opposition research against Trump. And interesting about all of it, none of it worked. And, the, and then... Because, I mean, a lot of... Right. He, he got hit with well, a lot of stuff, but none of it mattered. Because he's like, yeah, well, sure, yeah. I said that, but that's just locker room When talk. a man has no shame, how do you, yeah. do you I mean, hold him accountable for something? Him? And then over the weekend... Uh, Steve Bannon reportedly calls Trump and says, I want to go after this singer guy who was the financier for the dossier. Oh, boy. And Trump goes, yes, he needs to go down. At least that's how the conversation is reported to have gone. So now Bannon is said to be able to sick his you know, machine on this billionaire to go after him. 
Hmm. I, th- I thought Bannon was just gone and done. No, but... no, no. He's he's working. He's doing his he's doing his job at war, causing chaos. Okay. Uh, former President Barack Obama has been selected for jury in Cook County, Illinois. The Chicago Tribune oh, reported oh. Friday, and he intends to serve. That's great. He made it crystal clear to me through his representative that he would carry out his public duty as a citizen and resident of this community, said Cook County Chief Judge Timothy Evans. But doesn't he live in D.C.? You keep both. See, well, I know, but can he just say, I live in D.C. right now. You may not have heard of me. I'm the ex-president of the United States. I'm sure. now the reigning champion of the DNC. If you, if they select him, that's like a, a jury selection. Uh, that's a dream come true. Because oh, you get yeah. three for the price of one. You also get his bodyguards to serve on the jury, that's too. Great Former point. President George W. Bush and Bill Clinton have also been called for jury duty since leaving office. Though neither was selected to serve, Obama is likely to be dismissed because of the sensationalism his presence would bring to any case. It'd be jaywalking, but the, the whole point yeah. is, you know, President Obama is in jury. Uh, I don't want to brag, but I've been selected for a jury before. Really? Yeah, I've sat and listened to a case an entire day, and then they settled. Hmm. And it made hmm. me absolutely ticked because I was ready to give the guy the chair. <laughs> <laughs> And this was this was just like an easement settlement, right? Yeah, it, was just, wow. it was just an easement issue. <laughs> a little business squabble. But he deserved it. I mean, he was Give him the chair. cookie. All right. So uh, finally. Yeah. Pumpkin pie. Oh, yeah. My we favorite. We mentioned this before. Oh, pumpkin cake last night. It was so good. Right. Oh. And uh, Excuse me. most pumpkin comes from uh, that you can find at stores. Yeah. It's uh, There's one brand. Yeah. Really? It's called Libby's, right? That's oh, the brand well, that's was, out there. Yeah, pumpkins are us. There's there's thinking. other possible out there, but the vast majority, whenever Libby's, there's a shortage, it's because this one company is having some problems getting all the merchandise Pumpkin production out there. problems. Um, and this is nothing against them. It's just a fact of what you're actually getting in that can of pumpkin when you buy it. Whoa, so whoa, the, whoa, 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 whoa. What? Well, all you would get if you're buying pumpkin is pumpkin. You would think that, wouldn't you? Ah, oh, geez. So there's a uh, Serious Eats senior editor Stella Parks wrote a book called Brave Tart: Iconic American Desserts. Brave Tart. Yeah. <laughs> and she has some she stories. Is one brave. Tart. So she's being interviewed here by Marketplace.org. Okay. And uh, they go so uh, she goes so pumpkins aren't actually very good for pie, and everyone knows this. Back in the day, everyone enjoyed squash a lot more. Like a butternut squash or a winter squash. Mm-hmm. And so there's this guy who is like this kind of squash king, and he was into kind of consolidating different squashes and squash research and growing different uh, varieties of squash. And then it just sort of snapped up. This packing plant was able to kind of get a monopoly on all the farms in a specific area of America, and that's yeah. where we get our our, our big name brand pumpkin okay. company is Lib- Libby's Pumpkin, which is secretly squash. Says, but if I go to the store and I buy a can of pumpkin, it says on the outside 100% pumpkin. And she says, yeah, there's no rule about what pumpkins are. There's not a rule. There's not like a line no. where they move from a squash to a pumpkin. To it a says pumpkin. The, the Food and Drug Administration have no legal distinctions between pumpkins and squash. They're all in the same botanical family, and it's just a game of semantics. And the FDA was like, it doesn't matter, and it doesn't, so... It's squash. That's what's in that can of alleged pumpkin. So you could get anything from summer squash to spaghetti squash to pumpkin. And this is all written by Brave Tart. Brave Tart. Brave Tart. Brought to you by Brave Tart. Now, if you actually take your jack-o'-lantern and you go boil that thing and and get it down to the, the elements where you can use it for cooking, then you'll have pumpkin. But if it's in a can, it's most likely squash. 
But you know what? Because pumpkin doesn't preserve so, as well. That's as interesting. A, so yeah. we really may just like squash, squash, squash pie. pie. Squash Who's going to want squash pie? It's Grandma, all in the I name. Have some squash pie. In fact, I will forever now call it squash pie just to be annoying. I'll have some squash pie, please. You mean you mean pumpkin pie, sweetie? No, no, no. Squash pie. Did no, it come honey, out of a can? It's pumpkin. Squash pie. Thank no. You. And then you're going to start a fight. No, so the question is, start a fight. is this is this a bad thing to know? And the answer is no. It still tastes fine. It tastes great. It doesn't change anything. And it's that's just good. I didn't think know. I liked squash. Apparently, I do. I'm all for him calling it squash pie because you said it would end in a fight. It might end in a pie fight. Yeah. I've always wanted to be in a pie fight. Pie fight. Is, um, but it, you mean a squash fight. Squash pie fight. I guess so. I love... I I did not know it. I love squash. Then it's great, no. and it's healthy for you. But you know, there's a segment of the population that's out there like what squash? It's not pumpkin. I know, and but those people need to relax. Yeah, they probably need to boil their jack o' lantern and figure it out. By the way, <laughs> yeah. I carved a jack o' lantern last night. It might have been the first one I've ever carved. Really? Because growing up, it was just my dad would carve it. We draw it on the pumpkin, yeah, and my yeah. dad would carve it out because you know knives and everything. And uh, by the time I got to be the age where, you know, you could go ahead and I didn't care anymore. Right. It was like, eh. How did it go? Oh, it was great. We have a nice face on it. and You know, it, I'm at the, the pumpkin patch where over we the don't, you don't carve them anymore. Yeah. Because, again, because of the knife thing. It was funny. cut your old We came off. up. My kid had this very elaborate design. It said, like, it was all stenciled out, happy Halloween, and this face was really intricate. And I go, can I just cut some eye holes and a nose hole, and we'll figure out the vampire oh. teeth on the eh. – and he just went, eh, fine. For us, the past year or two, the, the pumpkins that we've selected have just been too pretty to carve. Really? Did you, did you, you know? Did you paint them? No, they're just, they've got like a unique stem or they're like kind of the warty pumpkins. So they're just, they look too nice to cut. But, oh, there's a tradition here. Mm-hmm. You got to get your hand inside that pumpkin and start scooping. But look, if you don't carve the pumpkin, then all of a sudden you can leave your pumpkins out on your front porch a lot longer. Right. And they can be fall pumpkins once Halloween's over. Yeah, but I, I mean, there is a spirit to the whole thing. Yeah, you, you could be ruining Halloween. And I'm, I, what I worry about are your daughters. Hey. I mean, your your children. Stoss, I don't worry about. He's so young. He would just like to probably just suck on a little pumpkin stem or something. But um, but the girls, I worry, are going to miss out on sticking their hands in the in the real guts of a pumpkin. There's no way that this ruins Halloween or fall as much as calling pumpkin pie squash pie. Good point. Squash pie. Did your mom ever make the pumpkin seeds after? So she yes. and and cook them or whatever. Mm-hmm. You heat them up and mm, yeah. put a little salt on them, and then you eat them, and you're like, these taste like wood. Yeah. <laughs> well, you'd eat them, and then it was okay, and then there was too many of them, so yeah. they'd sit in the cupboard yeah. for like years. It seemed like a lot of work for such a little yield, yeah. especially like a woody. They smelled good as they were cooking. Yeah, they did. It was great. Yeah. Is there anything else that you wish you liked more? Like the idea of pumpkin seeds you like, but when you taste them, it's like, oh, this is not good. Like I like – I would like to like mustard. Oh, I love mustard. But I don't like mustard. You don't like any mustard? I can can tolerate a little bit in a burger, but it's one of those Mm. things where I would like to like it, but I I just don't. I used to eat mustard sandwiches. It was just mustard on the bread. Whoa. Eat it. Do you know what? I used to do that until I squirted out um, mustard, but all that came was – the 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 mustard drops. The mustard drip, water. Mustard water. Yeah, it's gross. It's like ketchup water. And you need to shake that bottle up that a little bit. Shook yeah. me up quite a bit mm-hmm. because I'm like, where did all the water come from? Yeah. 
Um, so you you would like to like pumpkin seeds? I would like to like um, uh, eggplant. Really? I would like that. Hmm. It seems healthy. It seems nice. I mean, it seems very. And by the way, with me having seven percent Italian in my blood, hmm. yeah. uh, like a little uh, you know eggplant parmesan, I would love to your, be able. Your DNA is drawn yeah. to that type of food. Yes. And many don't know that um, <laughs> I had my DNA tested. I spit in a tube. And um, I found out that seven to uh, well seven percent of me is either Greek or Italian. So, even then, opa! it's undecided. Excuse me. Opa! I would like to like the Houston Astros. Oh, wow! That's rude. No, I, I'm saying I would like to like them. But you should like them. They're a gift from heaven, from the Astros. Hmm. I think at this point you have to admit, aren't you gonna aren't you gonna be pretty disappointed if there isn't a game seven? Not if wouldn't the, you not be disappointed? If the Astros win, you monster. You know, get it I, over I just with. figured out one that I could do. Okay. I would like to like Harry Potter. Hey, that's a good example. You don't like Harry Potter? I've like whenever I've okay, let's rent that because I've never seen any of the yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah. I've never read the books. I'm like, okay, when I ever take a step towards those two book or movie i don't really care but i'd like to i think it'd be interesting i don't understand what everyone's talking about yeah i would like to like pizza other than pepperoni and sausage pizza yeah well you know what i would like you to like that too i just can't just the italian in me i can't take onions on my bread i can't do it i i would like because i'm a little greek that people pronounce G-Y-R-O the right way. Gyro? Gyro? Hero! So you would like, you would like for, uh, I can't even word that correctly. Yeah, I would like. You would like to like. I would like the non, <laughs> the non-Greek slash Italian slash Mediterranean. You would like to like the people that mispronounce that word. Yeah. I would like that. I, ever since I found out last night <laughs> that I have. Italian slash Greek. You're really identifying with that culture? Mm -hmm. Nice. A lot. (laughs) Opa! Oh, it's just, anyway. It's exciting. It's exciting stuff, folks. This is the stuff you get on the Matt Townsend Show. You don't get anywhere else. We take you around the entire globe and celebrate everything from candy corn to the Opa. Wonderful Greek way. And I may not be Greek. I may actually be more Italian. I don't know. It's just in my DNA. Straight ahead, we're going to revisit a wonderful interview about I'm not rude, I'm just anxious. Maybe your anxiety is making you, uh, you know, turn people off. That's straight ahead right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Have you ever been to a party and tried to talk to someone who just seemed like they couldn't make eye contact with you or seemed to squirm in their seat when you approached them? Maybe you felt offended, like they had no interest in you or what you had to say. Often we leave these situations thinking, geez, you know, I was just trying to be nice. 
But before getting offended, maybe consider that the person wasn't trying to, you know, send you disinterested signals. Maybe they're just anxious. A few months back, I spoke with David Ritu, Associate Professor of Psychiatry and Pediatrics at the University of Vermont College of Medicine, on how rudeness or disinterest could actually be masked social anxiety. I began the interview by pointing out that we really are quick to judge, but when someone is suffering from anxiety at a party or a social event, it really can be a very difficult situation. Absolutely. That can be one of the hardest situations, especially when you're, there isn't a lot of structure to the situation. You're told to just kind of go out and mingle. <laughs> uh, and that can really be tough for people. And I think anybody who's ever been asked to do a math problem in front, you know, on the chalkboard in front of the whole class knows that your brain can go into a freeze, uh, even for things that you know pretty well. Totally. And is that, that is, so social anxiety would just be anxiety induced by social settings? Is that, is that how you define that? Right. So social anxiety describes people who get particularly nervous and anxious when they're in pretty much all social situations or if they're in one specific social situation. And probably the most famous specific situation is public speaking. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting, huh? Because um, it's uh, public speaking. I always thought of as you know, once you got the skills to do it, you, it, it's easy, and once you kind of build it up in your head. But if somebody is absolutely terrified of having to, you know, be there and do the I call it the dance and just sit there and make make chit chat, it's got to be hard. Is there? Do we sense that there's more? going on uh, with social anxiety today than before? Are we having more and more diagnoses of social anxiety? Well, you're right. There is this term. There's something called social anxiety disorder, uh, and it describes people who feel a lot of this to the point that it really causes impairment and holds them back in their lives. And it's common. Um, I think the estimates among adolescents, at least, I'm a child psychiatrist, so I think more about kids and adolescents, affects maybe about 11% of adolescent girls and about 9% of adolescent males. So it, it is very common. I'm not sure about the trends in the, uh, over time, though. It's a is, great question. Is it? I, and I guess, like, I mean, I had a child that had social anxiety, and his manifested by him not wanting to go to school. He didn't want – he was the one that we fought with every time we took him to kindergarten. Right. Uh, this can uh, surface very, very young. Uh, there are some uh, famous psychologists who study kids as, as young as two and seem to be able to identify the early manifestations of this traits. And these kids are at higher risk for manifesting you know, full-blown social anxiety disorder in adolescence in adults. Although it's worth saying also that most kids who have this trait to start with don't go on to have this diagnosis. Do you? What do you do when when you see it? Because I guess a lot of times it is mistaken for rudeness, or you know, just antisocial behavior. Right, because if you think about it, here's a person who's at a party or something. They're feeling nervous, so it's hard to think about what to say. Mm-hmm. Um, people with social anxiety also tend to be very attuned or very perceptive of any possible negative evaluation of other people. So they're scanning the room, they're looking for signs that maybe they're not liked or not wanted. And the irony about this whole thing is that when you're thinking that, when you're not thinking or when you're worried about those kinds of things, it does actually affect your performance in Mm -hmm. social situations. And so there's this 
self-fulfilling prophecy that happens that if you are doing these things, then you're generally not as skilled in social situations. And, and what's, I guess, ironic is they actually be, may be more skilled at picking up the data of social cues, but they just maybe overanalyze it. They over, they're overthinking it. Yeah, they're thinking about it too much, or they're or they're biased towards finding negative attributions out in the environment when maybe it's a more neutral signal. Interesting. Oh, it's got to be torture for those kids or those people. It's really tough, and that's why I thought it was a good question to bring up and talk about today because. Uh, you know, it affects a lot of people, and I think being aware of this can help both the people who are anxious and the people who are not so anxious but trying to engage in a conversation with them. There's a reason they're not engaging normally with you in the social environment, and don't just assume it's because they're rude. It might right. be they have other things going on. That's right. And, you know, we're in a society where we're often pretty quick to take offense, and um, we just have to be mindful that maybe there are other reasons. And for most of us, our thoughts dictate our behavior, although it can work in the other direction as well. But So if we think that somebody is blowing us off or not interested, you know, then we're going to react you know, in a more hostile or less friendly way too, and that's how these cycles get generated. And, I guess, and, and it becomes a deeper and deeper self-perpetuating cycle because – the more they act socially awkward, the more negative feedback they get, which drives up their social anxieties, which drives up their awkward behavior. And, and right. I guess, too, as a teacher as well, um, you got to just make sure you're not quickly judging them because that will determine how you teach them, how you handle them. That's right. And that's how these cycles develop. And if somebody has a really difficult experience in a social situation or at a party, you know, they may be much less likely to do that again. And then all of a sudden, you know, somebody's becoming more isolative. And then it's even more difficult to kind of pick up those social skills that we all need. Where does it come from? Is, is this a chemical thing? David, is this a is this a is this how we were raised? Is this what causes social anxiety? Well, like a lot of things, when it comes to traits in the brain, it's fairly complex. There's good evidence from twin studies that a, a good chunk of this uh, may be genetically related. And, and like I said, people pick up these traits very, very early in life. But on top of that, there can be a lot of environmental things that can uh, either make this better or worse. So certainly if somebody has had a traumatic experience or a very embarrassing experience, that can have an effect. We can teach these things. There's some interesting studies that show that uh, parents who themselves might be anxious tend to sometimes communicate that the world is a more hostile and dangerous place. Mm. So these messages are sometimes being communicated. So there's a lot of different things that can factor into this. And I guess you could, um, this is something you ought to be looking at with your own family. If you notice that you suffered from social anxiety, you might be looking for signs in your kids if they do as well. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the reasons why I got interested in this topic is I think I have a measure of this myself. Mm. So it's always been on my radar screen. And then, uh, you know, one of my patients started bringing this up about uh, her best friend uh, thinking that uh, she didn't care about her at all because she was more hesitant when they first started talking. Hmm. And and yet here you are, David, on radio, but written books. You're a, a well-known doctor. You're changing lives. And so there is a sign of if you have a little social anxiety, you you can become pretty productive. 
Yes, absolutely. I mean, people who possess this trait, this is not destiny. This is not something that there's nothing to do about. Uh, but you have to get yourself out there. I mean, one of the one of the tricks about overcoming anxiety is that to, to do it, you have to work in a different way. So in other words, you know, if your car breaks down, nobody's going to say, well, you need to drive up this hill in order to fix it. You know, you get the problem fixed and then you go out into the situation. Mm-hmm. But to treat anxiety, that's exactly what you have to do. You have to actually get people to risk being in a in a slightly uncomfortable situation, even when things aren't totally fixed. And that's the way that somebody can gain mastery over this. And it's so counterintuitive, right? They, they want to hold back, but by holding back, you only make it harder next time. You keep sure, digging right. a deeper hole. Yes, it's a, it's, a, it's a weird mechanism, and you have to explain that to people because we're used to getting something fixed first uh-huh. and then going out into the situation. Yeah, and it's and I guess social anxiety is is it's one thing to have the feelings of anxiety, that anxiousness, the the heart rate that's you know rapid and and some of the other physiological effects. But social anxiety is also, I guess, what your brain is doing about how you contrive the social situation. That's right, and one of the things that people who tend to be more anxious are doing is, in addition to overly focusing maybe on cues in the environment. They're also very focused on their cues in their body. So they're noticing that their heart rate is going up, and they're saying, uh-oh, here comes my heart rate. It's going up. Oh, my palms are getting sweaty. I feel mm. the butterflies in my stomach, and all of that can then generate even more anxiety. But what, I guess but they're so self-attuned. That's a great thing because you could use that as a gift of reading. Maybe that's why you became a child psychiatrist is because you were so attuned. Yes, and anxiety, we, it often gets a very bad rap and can be maladaptive, but it's important to take a step back that anxiety enabled our species to survive. Right. You know, if, if, we, if all we could do when we saw a saber-toothed tiger was smile, <laughs> we, wouldn't have, we wouldn't have lasted very long. Yeah, here, kitty, kitty. Right, you'd be dead. So you needed a little bit of fear to run. Yeah, we yeah. need to be able to mobilize ourselves when there's a perceived threat. It, it works against us, however, if, if that reaction happens when we're not in a dangerous situation. Joining us on the phone is Dr. David Ratu. He is the Associate Professor of Psychiatry and Pediatrics at the University of Vermont College of Medicine, also the author of the book Child Temperament, New Thinking About the Boundary Between Traits and Illness. This topic of social anxiety, when you work with the clients and the people and the patients you work with, Dr. Ritu, what, what do you tell them about how to handle social anxiety? What advice do you give? Well, for, for some of them, I advise them to prepare a little bit more. Hmm. Uh, some people are great conversationalists, and they can just come up with topics and all of a sudden just engage anybody about anything. But for people with social anxiety, it may take a little extra work and preparation. So maybe you want to think about questions that you might want to ask people. It can be a little dry or it can feel a little rehearsed sometimes, but I think it's probably better than than an awkward silence sometimes. Because they'll bring up scenarios like, well, I mean, I I don't know. I don't know when I meet the girl what I'm supposed to say. But you, 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 they're actually thinking ahead, you know, three days before the event. And so we could practice, well, here's 10 things we could say. Exactly. And that can, that can be helpful. Another thing that can be helpful, and this is a little counterintuitive, is give people who have social anxiety a role at, at these situations. Like we were saying in the very beginning, I think one of the, the most stressful situations is when there's no structure to hmm. it. 
and someone's supposed to just be around and mingling and going up to people, that can be really hard. But if a child or you know, even an adult has something they're supposed to do, they're supposed to be passing around the food, or you know, what worked actually for me a little bit was to actually play in the band. Yeah. For me, it was easier to be in the band than it would, was to be in the audience. That's it. You you need the script, right? And if yeah. I give you a role, then along with the role, there's kind of an inherent script. Exactly. And you can, and I guess, another... make up a script, right? Like it, like if it's a date or a dance, the script could just simply be be the gentleman. You're there to serve the lady. You're there to make sure she's got her coat, make sure she's – I mean, I guess knowing the role to play helps. Sure. That can help, uh, that can help quite a bit. I think another thing is – People with social anxieties, they see the extroverted ones, and they think, that, that, that's not me. That's, I'm not going to be able to get there. But the truth is, you don't really have to. Mm-hmm. A lot of people who are much more conversational and extroverted don't need much to get them going. So you just need to sort of start the conversation. And, and you may notice this. On airplanes, I notice this, that it really sometimes just takes one hello or ask one question, and that person is off to the races. Mm-hmm. It's so true. So you and, don't need to you yeah. need to match them uh, with their gregariousness. You just have to you just have to get things started. And can what can I do to help the person that um, is that I'm going that I'm talking to? If I sense they're a little socially anxious, I can help by just bring by letting you know using my skills to start the conversation and keep it going. Just don't be right. offended. Right, and I think just being aware, if you're not getting that great feedback initially from somebody, that maybe this is due to social anxiety is important. Now, if you hear, go away, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's a different story. Leave me alone. Right. Yeah, yeah uh, then they know, might have a problem. I'm not going to say that there aren't rude people out right. there. Right. Uh, but to be aware that that's a possibility, maybe take the extra step. Uh, and maybe if you're friends with somebody who is more socially anxious and you're introducing them, do a little bit more than just give them their name. That can sometimes help. So not just, you know, hi, you know, I want you to meet my friend David, but, oh, he's also a big Red Sox fan. Hmm. You know, and, and say something that can maybe jumpstart that conversation. I've, I've talked to a lot of my clients uh, that are couples about how their, their spouse, their husband, let's say, really hates social situations. And so it probably is – it's not, again, that he's rude and he hates people. It's probably more of social anxiety. But now the guy's 55. Right. And, and that like people, that's the way they, they kind of want to be that way. There's not sometimes the motivation to change. And, and, and I guess you need, to, you need to work together on it. She might want to go do social things. He may really never want to. But we probably ought to find a way to help each other through it. Yeah, you have to sometimes find that, that compromise. I guess um, what's a great sign from the whole thing, Dr. Ratu, is that you don't want to frame yourself as just a social misfit and broken simply because you have a little social anxiety. It's just it's just your burden today. Right. You bring up a really good point, and, and that is the power of labels. Uh, and, you know, remember there was that day where we used to talk about kids being bad, mm-hmm. and now everybody teaches you not to say that a child is bad, but they're acting badly. Right. And I think, ironically, we should think about some of these traits the same way. So if we say to a child, oh, you are shy, that can be internalized, and that can set them up for their narrative later in life. That becomes sort of their template. But if we frame it as, well, you're acting shy right now, 
in some ways we're giving permission we're, hmm. we're conveying the understanding that this can change and you know maybe this will not be the way it is for the rest of your life. So sometimes the words are important, especially when you talk over these things. Yeah, I totally agree. If you, uh, as we wrap it up, Dr. Atu, what would you say is, is, I always like to know kind of the one thing, the one thing that that we all ought to do in our social social situations to, to help everybody get through it? I would say one of my favorite sayings, and I don't know where this is, where it comes from, but don't believe everything you think. <laughs> and uh, so if you are all of a sudden perceiving something, it's worth a second guess and say, hmm, maybe this person really doesn't like me, but can I think of some other things that might challenge that assumption? And that may pave the way for a lot better uh, social interactions and maybe meeting some friends you wouldn't otherwise. I love it. No, I totally love it. Again, appreciate your great time with us, David. Uh, Dr. David Ratu is his name, author of the book Child Temperament, New Thinking About the Boundary Between Traits and Illness. Wonderful read there. Also, you can find more from him on Psychology Today and uh, on his Twitter feed, at PDPsych, P-E-D-I, Psych. Great insight, folks. Don't always believe everything you think. Mm. More insights. We're going to come back, visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation in just a minute. Do you know the way to San Jose? I've been away so long, I may go wrong. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. A little Dion uh, or Dion Warwick. Um, do you know the way to San Jose? Well, BYU sure did. Well, they knew the way to Orem, Provo area. <laughs> Took care of San Jose. Let's go down to our good buddies at uh, BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show today. Today it's Spencer and Jason. Hello, gentlemen. Yes, I know <laughs> the way to San Jose <laughs> and a win. Oh, it was awesome. I was in the stadium. I went to the game. Did you really? It was incredible. Did ever, would, would I mean, it's incredible. I'm surprised you were able to even watch the game. People like coming up and interrupting, wanting. I know, I know. I had lots of people just touching me, which <laughs> I, you know, I'm not used to. I'm not like you guys. Maybe and, you were the good luck charm. Had you been to any oh, other home games? No, this uh-uh, year? no. I, well, then there it is. You know what? My wife calls me the good luck charm. <laughs> and, um, it's uh yeah it's just something she calls me but uh we 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 won it was so exciting like i mean it was kind of it wasn't always great football but there were some incredibly awesome moments look BYU had lost 7 in a row mr townsend <laughs> uh i don't care we'll if take it was it. against san jose I don't care if it was against the Orem Tigers. <laughs> BYU needed a win. And they went out and, and they got the job done. Oh, it was so exciting. Amen. It was great. It was fun. And it had to have been, um, I mean, it had to have been a boost for everybody. Like, okay, see, we can move the ball. What was total offense? Or what was, yeah, what was the total offense? 598 okay. yards. See? Yeah. Okay. Now, now, the problem is, didn't Fresno... Absolutely, school, San Diego or San Jose, um, and isn't that our next? Well, well Fresno U- lost over the weekend, by the way. Oh uh, yeah, Utah State beat San Jose State sixty-one to ten. Ey. Utah beat San Jose State fifty-four to sixteen. Oh yeah, and those were the two common opponents going into the game 
for BYU and San Jose State. Now, Fresno, I believe, will play San Jose State later this season, okay. and I'm sure it will be an ugly win in favor of Fresno State. Okay. But the Bulldogs are an interesting case because they were 5-2, and two, favorite against UNLV on the road, and then I believe lost 26-16. Mm. So okay. now not only does BYU come off of a win, Fresno State is dealing with the loss for the first time in a while. Oh, they're going to be mad. Yeah. So I don't know if it's a good thing that yeah. Fresno State lost. No, they're going to be ticked. Or BYU. Yeah. No, it's, it's going to be bad. I mean, I, I don't know. And and the problem is, I don't know that I can go to the Fresno game. So I can't bring them through every game. here's the deal. Are you a fan or not? Get on that flight, Matt. (laughs) Go to Fresno. I am a fan. I've just got a big event this weekend. Why don't you try and get into Spencer's luggage? Ooh. I mean, can you hold your breath for, say, two hours? Yeah. I don't think I can. I have breathable luggage, so that's not an issue. Everything in your luggage is breathable. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes. Dry, you'll be nestled in all that Nike dry yeah. fit gear. It'll be awesome. And that's what I was thinking is all the dry fit. Luckily, you're not wearing the polyester anymore. I would suffocate. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, I may have to pay a few hundred dollars extra for the additional weight in yes. the bag. Oh, yeah. Yep. Plus, I have to bring some other things uh, like my, you know, my oxygen, all those other things. <laughs> Do you know the way to Fresno? Did you no. guys watch the World Series? Of course we did. Are you Didn't kidding watch that me? Game. Epic, was epic that, game last that night. That was the best game ever. Holy cow. I'm still, I can't, I'm excited. By the way, we just figured out the problem. I figured it out with Jeffrey. Oh, yeah. He's in Here's the deal. Today, isn't he? The Dodgers have a $240 million salary Whatever okay. payroll, and the Houston Astros have Jose Altuve, who is five foot four. Yeah, and they only have about a hundred and twenty million dollar payroll. They're eighteenth in the MLB. Still pretty, still pretty high, you think? But then, yeah, you you juxtapose that with everybody else, and you're right, eighteenth. That's why the Astros are playing like they have a chip on their shoulder. Because Houston doesn't really count as a small market, does it? Because they're no, top. It's, like ten. Four, it's fourth in the in the country. Isn't it? Well, like top ten. But it's but it's lower. It's lower rent. Terry says, but it's half. It's half the. It's half the. It's half the salary. So they're all like, oh. hey, we're going to take you guys and show you that we should be getting your money. Yeah, the real brain buster was when Kansas City won the World Series. Oh, yeah. Because well, they traditionally yeah, have one and, of the lowest payrolls in all the Lowest league. payrolls and are one of the smallest markets in Major League Baseball. Well, and they're your favorite market, so you always bring them up anyway, Jason. I mean, you know, I look, I live there. It's, that's, those are my peeps. Jason is actually a Cardinals fan. I am man. a Cardinal, But, oh, but when you? I was younger, I was, I was oh, a Royals Oh, I fan. thought you were just everything was Kansas City. No, no, no. I mean, the Royals were my very first team. Of all the teams out there, I was a Royals fan before I was anything else. You were a George Brett. George Brett. I have had breakfast with George Brett. Brett Saberhagen. Hold it, hold it, hold it. Yes. Having, having a breakfast yes. the same time at Golden Corral no. that George Brett is no. eating. No. Is Before not breakfast. George, I like to call him George. <laughs> Before George was married, he lived in a hotel in downtown Kansas City, one that my uncle worked in the no laundry at. Way. My uncle arranged he would come out and have breakfast in the uh, in the little um, in the little breakfast the, nook. The little area. Yeah. And my uncle arranged for me to go and meet George and have breakfast with him. What a great guy. And I do not have that picture and it haunts me to this day. That I cannot find that picture. What I know, I'm I know. Sorry. George Brett is my favorite baseball player of all time. He and he's great. Yeah, but as I've gotten older, I've gravitated more towards the Cardinals once I moved away. And Altuve, 
And not all too because he killed the Cardinals all the time. I know. Dude, that guy is Kills legit. He's legit, and he made 5-4 seem hot again. His story is amazing. He shows up to try out for the yes. Astros. They tell him not to come back. Yeah. He comes back yeah. anyway and signs a contract initially for $15,000 a year. Are you serious? And just did that last night. You know Crack. what that reminds me of? That's the same story of Willie Mays Hayes from Major League. Wow. He showed up for a tryout. They didn't want him. They sent him away. <laughs> he came back, and look what he did for the Indians that year. It's, by the way, it's the same story of me at BYU Broadcasting. <laughs> Not to brag. Hey, what's, your, what's, on, what's on your show today, guys? You've only got 10 seconds to tell us. Winning, conquest, victory. How did BYU do it? What was so different about it, and what was the best part about the win? Oh, boy. It's great. Straight Trevor ahead. of ESPN as well. It's Maddich from ESPN and, of course, the good brethren from BYU Sports Nation. It's four minutes away, folks. Four minutes. We're going to let him go get warmed up, get ready. Boy, I did not know that about Altuve. So now that you know that story, all the more reason that the Astros should win. Okay. Apparently, Jeff and our audience, our studio audience, they don't agree. Hey, our hero of the day is a Utah letter carrier that saves a man who was severely injured when using a grinder tool uh, when it malfunctioned. Listen to this. A grinder tool that Jeff Hill had used probably a thousand times turned on him and slashed his hand near his wrist and thumb, cutting two arteries and a tendon in the process. He didn't have many options. He was alone at his home in Price, Utah, and his injury prevented him from calling for help. He feared that if he uh, if he eased his other hand's death grip on the hemorrhaging wound, he would bleed to death. That left him with one recourse. Go to the front yard, try to flag someone down. So he turned off the grinder, walked out of the shop, and headed toward the road. And lo and behold, there's a postman right there in the front. Uh, it was letter carrier Trent Hanna called 911, and Hill was saved. If Hanna wasn't in front of the house on October 19th, it's likely that Hill would have died since it was about noon on Thursday, and most other people in the neighborhood were at work. He probably would have just bled to death. But Hanna, by the way, uh, you know, went out of his way, actually went a different route in order to make this happen and ended up saving his life. So Hanna is the hero of the day. Trent Hanna, a postal carrier. And, uh, boy, it only takes, you know, one little accident to make you, you know, really see how life works and uh, what matters in life. And let's not uh, – we don't need an accident to make our lives more important. Let's just start to pay attention to what's really going on and and put our most important things first. That is the show. We will be back again tomorrow. More ideas, more information to help you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier lives. BYU Sports Nation is up next.